On this episode, we discuss pass through. Normally, I'd have like a, a joke here, or Stuart would have a joke here, but it's it's a Neil Breen movie. It's I. What do you? How can you even? How can you even talk about it? It's. Oh. Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Hey everyone, welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Stuart Wellington. And hey everyone, welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Elliot Kalen. Uh, thanks for that uh, dose of energy, Elliot. Uh, that was... Well, I decided to add kind of a carnivalesque, you know, Fellini atmosphere to it. Sure. Clowns and uh, tight ropes and trapezes and lions and mm-hmm. horrifically grotesque acts of all sorts but and, i realized it's audio <laughs> yeah podcast, so i just i just shout oh, okay. horrific like lions <laughs> yeah horrific grotesque lions because yeah. they all have heavy makeup on them because it's a fellini movie mm-hmm. oh okay uh i thought they just they just had like mange or something Ugh. anti-mange yeah <laughs> stewart's not having any of it today. <laughs> he's not into it Okay, what do we do on this here podcast? Okay, this is a podcast where yep. we watch a bad movie. Yeah, great. We established that. <laughs> Thanks, genius. <laughs> we watch a bad. Did I go too far by calling you a genius okay. sarcastically? I think so. Uh, we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. And this time of year is one of the most magical time of year. It's small timber where we watch small vember, small, small movies, movies that uh, normally would not be enough for us to even pay attention to. Uh huh. They are they are but a like, dust moat in the galactic scale. <laughs> in the eye of, in the eye of God, which in this case is what Roger Ebert. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The ghost of Roger uh, Ebert. Dan, when you say small movies, you don't just mean we're watching Avatar on our phone, right? Mm-hmm. No, that's not what I mean. That would be absurd, Elliot. Absurd. I've seen I've seen it done many yep. times. If yeah. we did that, Christopher Nolan would personally come and slap us in the face. <laughs> <laughs> he would say, spend more money on movies. I kind of get the feeling that Christopher Nolan just greets people by slapping them in the face very severely. <laughs> I mean, it, it sets the stone. Love. It sets the stone. It sets the stage. I don't know why it I'm thinking. I don't know why I'm thinking about stones. <laughs> now, here's what kind of stone. This is something I want the, the listeners to write in on. It does take a poll. What kind of stones... Is Stuart thinking of? Is he thinking of Emma Stone, the Rolling Stones, or the magical Norn Stones? Mm-hmm. Or, I think we know which or, one. Or am I thinking the video game Power Stone? <laughs> Probably that one. Sly and the Family Stone. Sticks. Yeah, or Sticks and Stone, which would be uh, the band Sticks and a Stone. Mm-hmm. I still think I'm probably thinking of Keith Stone, the brief uh, promoter of Keystone Light. Okay. <laughs> that character that they introduced? Yeah, Keith Stone. All right. Not Stone Phillips? No. Um, so, now, guys. What was, now, what was Keith Stone's deal? He was just like a dude, right? Wait, wait, wait. Let's talk about Keith Stone for a moment. Sure. Uh, well, okay. He was. Uh, I mean, when I pitched him as an ad exec, I was pitching him on the premise that, like, he's just kind of an everyman, but he was also, like, kind of a trickster spirit. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like the Loki next door. Mm-hmm, exactly. Like the Loki next door, but, like... Just take those fucking sleeves off, Loki. <laughs> like, you don't need to wear sleeves. 
Not if you're drinking a couple of beers, just hanging out with your buds, playing some jokes. I mean, here's the thing, Stuart. If he doesn't have sleeves, where will he keep his tricks up? I mean, probably in his pants. Good point. Good. (laughs) What if he's wearing jean shorts? Uh, I mean, you could put him in one of those pockets that sticks out down the frayed bottoms of the jean shorts. That's what I was... That's what I was just going to get at. If he puts all his tricks in those, people are going to see the tricks bulging out of his pockets that are hanging now we're talking below about, his shorts. We're sure. talking about trick cereal, right? Yeah, yeah. Loki walks around <laughs> just with handfuls of trick cereal just to taunt that rabbit. <laughs> that, would, that would be funny if Loki was the spokesperson for trick cereal. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it makes sense. I mean, Marvel's all over the place. It's huge right now. The uh, I wonder... Every commercial ends with him... Every commercial ends with him denying trick cereal to Balder, and then killing him with a mistletoe-tipped arrow. Yeah, and every commercial begins with Suter uh, hammering that, what, magic sword he's building to kill Thor with. <laughs> yep, just 13 commercials in a row that start with that until we get to the real commercial, which is when Suter finally shows up with the sword. Dan, you know what we're talking about, right? Uh, so, the movie Pass-Through that we watched... <laughs> It was a Neil Breen movie. Now, we watched... Should we should we reacquaint people with Neil Breen? Yes. That's what I was about to try and do. My best, at least. Okay. Uh, Neil Breen... Okay, so yeah, you're pulling up, you're pulling up Wikipedia on... So, yeah. <laughs> for, for, all those, for all those Breeniacs listening at home... Yeah. <laughs> Dan's trying to really get in the spirit here by recording this podcast on a laptop that's stacked up on top of a second laptop. <laughs> True. That is happening. And, of course, the, the only way to finish it, then, is to sweep those laptops off the deck. Yeah, that's how you save the file, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, Dan, uh, Neil Breen, who is he? Is he some kind of, like, a, like a sea creature? Uh, <laughs> yeah, is he the thing that filters out krill in a whale's mouth? That You would think so, but no. Neil Breen is actually the number one realtor in Las Vegas. Incorrect, Dan. <laughs> He's an architect who briefly worked as a real estate agent. Oh, really? I've been Before lying to people this whole time. True calling a uh, a a butt model. Yeah, because <laughs> his naked ass is in most of his movies and part of the back of his ball sack. Wait, what? Yeah, in most of his movies, there's a naked Neil Breen and back of ball sack. I was actually going to write read a letter about this later on. Uh, okay, we'll save it. We'll, we'll. I'm sure we can we can delay our gratification. I have to say though, I haven't remembered any of that at all. Have I been watching the blockbuster video editions of Neil Breen's movies? Wait, did blockbuster video edit out Neil Breen movies? Uh, well, they didn't carry any of them. Well, when you watch them on a <laughs> on a plane, certainly you don't get all the. <laughs> There's that Neil Breen channel on Delta. Yeah, because uh, they were worried about uh, if they're flying a plane with all the Neil Breen uh, bottom and back ball sack, the orgone levels would rise to scary heights and everybody would just start fucking like maniacs. Uh, No. So Neil Breen. okay, he's not he, he worked as a realtor, but he's not one anymore. Is this what you're saying to me, Elliot? He's an architect now, but he really, his calling is he's a filmmaker. How does he, all right, how does he have enough money as an architect to make these films? That's the real question. Have you seen, have you seen them? <laughs> they don't cost a lot of money. <laughs> well, he rented a drone for this one. I mean, there's that, at least. That's production oh, value. consumer electronic that's available <laughs> to every, everyone? Yeah. yeah. It was so funny. So there's a lot, this movie, we'll get to it. There's a lot of what I thought at first were helicopter shots. Yeah. And then I'm like, no, wait a minute. He just strapped a GoPro to a drone. Yeah. That's not the same thing. Yeah. And he, and he's based on a Las Vegas, a place where helicopter tours are 
fairly affordable, right? <laughs> yeah, I would think so. It's a tourist economy. Now, Neil Breen, he's made a lot of movies that are baffling. Uh, and we we reviewed one of his earlier movies, Fateful Findings, right? Yeah. Yep. I'm glad that you're, lo- I, you're looking to us for confirmation. <laughs> well, I have a Memento's Syndrome. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Where I only remember things that happen in Mentos commercials. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay, yeah. <laughs> so I can tell you all about the time that I snuck into the backstage of a concert by tying a bandana around my head and pretending to be a roadie. Or that, or the time, that when, time you convinced those, uh, those brawny uh, construction workers to move that person's car. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that was one of my real triumphs in life. Um, yeah, and then there was... So you forget everything about the podcast and all the weird esoteric knowledge that you mention on there. Oh, is that something that happens? Yeah, I, I was. Uh, no, I wasn't. I wasn't aware. Okay, but we. So, fateful findings. What? How would you describe that movie, Dan? In four words. Uh, a writer tries to expose secret government Too secrets. <laughs> so many extra words, Dan. <laughs> um, Neil Breen. Uh, uh. You shouldn't have used up two of the words just with the name Neil Breen. <laughs> Neil Breen Messiah Complex. Okay, you did it. All right. Yeah, yeah, that's that pretty good. The, that seems to be a theme, the, the theme between theme. all of his movies. Is Neil Breen presents himself as the one purveyor of truth and uh, like honest reality in his movies, and everybody else is corrupt and openly horrible. And that's one of the. Well, we should just start talking the movie because one of my favorite thing in Neil Breen movies is that uh, the bad guy characters just openly state how bad they are. <laughs> yes. They have casual conversations about how corrupt and evil they are. But okay, let's talk. So this movie, that was Fateful Findings, which was about a writer with magic psychic powers who hacks into government secrets and convinces all the bad people in the world to commit suicide. Elliot, is uh, is there a plane flying over your house? What's going on over there? A very low-flying helicopter just flew right by the <laughs> Sure. Like, is Neil Breen hanging like, out of it? <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Well, as I was saying that, the heli- it was probably... 30 feet above the ground, this helicopter flew by. That was crazy. But I live in L.A. It's like a movie every day. Yeah. Yeah. Brag uh, anyway, about it. This, so this <laughs> Why are you looking at me? <laughs> Go on. I remember when we watched Fateful Findings, I was like, I don't understand this man's brain or his movies. This looks so cheap and, and shoddy, and yet it's the scope is so enormously ambitious in a foolhardy way. Yeah. Pass Through is like that times... What, a, a million? Mm, yeah. Yes, I think you're right. It is, it's like both a million times cheaper and less coherent and yet a million times more ambitious in what it's trying to say to the world. So let's just get into it, right? Let's just let's just try to summarize the plot of a movie that is seemingly daring you to believe that there's a plot in it. Yeah. I'm trying. We watched, we this, watched this a couple of days Monday. ago, and yeah. oh boy, Elliot, please take me back to that place. <laughs> okay, well, I'll take you back to the beginning, which is uh, there's kind of a heavenly choir over some kind of geometric shape in space, which looks like the kind of poster that like a pothead who is also like a computer science or an astrophysics student mm-hmm. would have in their in their dorm. Uh, and then suddenly you're just in the desert. You're just in the desert, looking at rocks through like a GoPro attached to a drone. Lots of rocks and ominous piano music. And then the title comes up, Pass Through. And then a Neil Breen film, usually that comes up sometimes before. He's, he plays with the way credits go. Uh, and you see, and this is his, I guess, attempt to be like 2001 A Space Odyssey. You see a rock with kind of aboriginal designs painted on it. And from the side of the frame, 
an arm with like really poorly attached fake fur yeah. holding a paintbrush <laughs> paints this paints this symbol on and it looks like it's supposed to look like I think some kind of proto hominid arm but what it looks like is somebody just shoved their arm into the lint filter of a dryer mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then painted something and then you see above this cave where these rocks are the worst composited in tiger I think I've ever seen in a movie it looks so it looks terrible and this is a a tiger effect we'll see many times. Uh, next, Neil Breen symbolizes the pass- <laughs> passage of time by showing clocks sitting on the ground in the desert. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, that's what suddenly, that okay. that's what that was representing. Thank you, Elliot. <laughs> I think the fact that you, so it very shortly you see in in succession with no dialogue, you see rocks, you see some kind of furry person's hand painting a stone, you see a tiger, and then you see clocks sitting on the ground in the desert. I have to assume that it's that it's supposed to be about the evolution of man. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, but man's not in a great place because we cut to a chain of what appears to be at first to be possibly hikers uh, or possibly migrants trying to cross the border into the United States. Now, here's the thing. They're a wonderfully I, 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 diverse group of migrants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, they look, they're dressed like migrants. They're going across, through the desert. I've seen this footage on the news many times, but I don't remember Latin American migrants crossing the border, in the news footage at least, to be so white and also black. And also there may have been an Asian person there. Yeah. And everyone speaking in kind of like California, Las Vegas accents. Yeah, there's a certain central casting element to it. <laughs> Or a certain <laughs> anyone Neil Breen could find to be in his damn movie element to it. Yeah, I feel like there's a certain whoever was hanging out at the mall <laughs> that day element to the casting. <laughs> uh, but we don't see the hikers for long because for a little bit we are cutting between and cutting almost randomly it seems between three storylines: these migrants in the desert, a bunch of kids who love space, studying at computers and talking to each other on the phone. Yep. Uh, there's an old man looking at a book mm-hmm. and Neil Brain as a kind of dirty hobo collecting cans. <laughs> uh, it turns out that the teens are tracking some sort of signal that the old man predicted, but they keep finding, uh, it's a false. It positive. feels like, find the symbol. it feels like every time they signal. cut from the kid's room to the old man's hospital room, the exact same posters in the same configuration are on the walls, <laughs> Elliot. Now, would you be suggesting, okay, there's only two possibilities there. One is that they just wheeled out the child's bed and wheeled in a hospital bed to shoot those scenes. Or, and this is what I posit, is more in line with the movie's themes. Yeah. The old man and the kid either are in such psychic synchronicity that they unknowingly put their posters up in the same places, or that the old man and the kid are the same person at different points in their lifespan, somehow emerging into space and time at the same space. It's like the inner Sandman video where you're like, is the little kid the old man now? What is going on? (laughs) Because Neil Breen is kind of like Stanley Kubrick with The Shining. Mm -hmm. No detail is is beyond his eye. I can't believe that he would just so casually use the same room for two different sets and two different locations if it wasn't part of his grand design. Because as we'll see, he is a very intricate uh, director with who, who has a reason for everything. Like, for instance, Hobo Neil Brain isn't just sleeping on a dirty mattress in a trailer for no reason. He's been hired by the coyotes who move the migrants mm-hmm. to clean up their trash after them just to make it, <laughs> so there's no evidence. Now, here's how, you, here's how I would have solved that problem if I was a coyote. Just bring a garbage bag with you. 
pick up the trash as you go along, and then throw it away at some point. But no, they, I just guess, decided that it was easier to get drugs with which to pay Neil Breen, who we find is a drug-addicted hobo, yep. uh, to clean up this trash. Now, when, when you say he's a drug-addicted hobo, you mean that he takes his uh, syringe and he squirts out some sort of liquid on top of his arm. Like, there's a yes. scene of him, like, also that he- theoretically injecting it into his arm, but it's clear that he's just I mean, dude, all over his- fucking drugs are no joke now, man. <laughs> Half that shit is transdermal anyway. Like, he's getting so high. He also cooks, he cooks his drugs by taking the powder, putting on a piece of foil, just laying it on the ground, and then sucking up the powder with the syringe. <laughs> so either the rocks of that desert are so hot that you can yeah. literally cook mm-hmm. whatever drug he's using on it, cook his heroin or whatever, or... He's just got to. Do, he doesn't. He doesn't like his his drugs runny. Yeah, I mean, there like is eggs a little more solid. You know, I think yeah. there's a scene that he cut out where he actually fries up a little breakfast on the rocks, but just by just cracking cracking eggs <laughs> on that rock because it's so hot, Elliot. And I think that would have explained the scene that you're talking about a little better. Yeah, I, I have to imagine. I mean, it, the only he must have cut that scene because he's like, wait a minute, my character who looks just like me but slightly dirtier mm-hmm. looks like he hasn't eaten a good meal in probably thirty years. So. Maybe it would be unrealistic for me to show him eating a breakfast. Mm -hmm. But he's like, the breakfast scene is important to me because breakfast is the most important meal of the movie, right? Is that the the popular phrase? That's the old saying. That's the popular (laughs) saying, yeah. So that's why they sneak it in. That's why all the best movies that you've ever seen have a breakfast scene, like Idle Hands, Bring It On. Uh, Dan, what are some other top tier movies? I mean, Citizen Kane is a famous breakfast scene. Yeah, yeah. Where you watch the the crumbling of a marriage over breakfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's not forget the most famous breakfast scene, maybe, which was uh, what the poster for Dan in real life when Steve Carell has his head on top of a pile of pancakes. Yeah, we're talking so we're talking S tier movies right now, like mm-hmm. uh, Lawrence of Olivier, <laughs> Lawrence of Olivier, <laughs> <laughs> of Arabia, where uh, where Peter O'Toole's just cr- uh, you know crushing some fucking breakfast, yeah, some like, BKFST, he, he and somebody's into, like, hey. Hey, why are you putting out that match with your fingers? And he's like, I don't give a fuck. Right? You remember <laughs> that right. part? Yeah. I remember it. Now, uh, now, what would Lawrence of Olivier be about? <laughs> <laughs> he's that Peter O'Toole. He's yep. Lawrence of Arabia, but he's been shrunk and he's inside <laughs> Lawrence Olivier's body. Yep. Yep. I, th- I mean, uh, that's exactly what it's about. Um, and he lights a match, and someone's like, hey, put that out. You're inside one of the greatest living actors. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. And he puts it out with his fingers. Mm-hmm. And then they insert a tiny evil spy character that's in a <laughs> robot suit. And he's like, I'm going to crush you. And he like, he's like, not so fast, dude. And he tosses him in the stomach acid, and the dude totally gets <laughs> roasted. Uh, it's, yeah. it's so gross. Think about that little yeah. dead body in the, in, in that bo- uh, floating around Lawrence Olivier's body. Does he shit him out? I mean, if it's this... Yeah, if it's in his stomach, it's just going to come out in his. Poop. Is he a, so tiny? Is, he's not even going to notice. But is he a cannibal then? I guess if it's a robot, then no. <laughs> no, but there's like a dude inside the robot. Now that's an interesting question because cannibalism it implies a certain motivation and intent. I think <laughs> okay, accidentally eat a tiny person and you never even know it's there. The same way that like all the food we eat has a certain amount of insect parts in it. We never know. Does that mean we're insectivores without knowing it? I mean, I am. I. 
I, this sounds like just a way of justifying being a cannibal. Like, oh, I didn't know that that was a human being that I ate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you when you when you turn into a fucking Wendigo, you're like, oh, I didn't know about the tiny scientist in my belly. <laughs> when you when when Lawrence Olivier appeals in Wendigo court, <laughs> says, uh, I, I'd like to uh, I'd like to file a writ of didn't know. <laughs> and I guess Judge Wendigo is like, I'll allow it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh man. He's, he's, he has to apply to the governor for a pardon. For being a <laughs> let's, just take, let's just take a moment and step back and appreciate the absurdity of the picture we've painted <laughs> where Lawrence Olivier has had a spy injected into his stomach who he's eaten and yeah. become a Wendigo. So yep. he has to go to Wendigo court to object to this uh, transformation. Yep. And it gets even more absurd, Dan, because who shows up but Peter Pan to take Wendigo to <laughs> Wendigo to Never Never Land to meet the Lost Boys, oh. and they think she's a Wendigo bird. Oh, oof! Then another dude. helicopter. Oh, there's another helicopter going by. So, uh, where are we at in the movie again? Okay, like two so minutes in. this is when the movie the movie cuts to the one well framed shot in the whole film, and it actually startled me the first time that I saw. There was an actual shot that could have been in a real movie. Mm-hmm. I like, I literally jumped. Like it, it struck me so hard. I was like, wait, wait <laughs> yeah, did yeah. you accidentally find a good shot? Because Neil Breen, he seems to have died of a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. That's when New, Neil Breen number two gets up, walks out of that body, and just goes goes to his house. Uh, and we will find out that this second Neil Breen is not everything that it's not everything he seems. Needs a little bit more, and it's essentially the movie The Hidden at a certain point. But anyway. Uh, the teens who were looking for that mysterious signal, they've been writing songs. That storyline doesn't go anywhere about how great their songs are. Uh, Neil tries to cross a barbed wire fence and his hands get all bloody. That symbolism I don't have to explain to you guys. You know what bloody hands means, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Bloody, bloody hands means uh, he goes gloves. through a lot of gloves. All right. Fair. <laughs> okay, I was going for more of a Christ stigmata imagery okay. thing, but yeah, also gloves. Uh, the uh, the migrants make it across the border by knocking down a fence, which has been weakened by the silliest CGI blowtorch effect. <laughs> oh yeah, you can imagine. Yeah, that's one. This guy holds up a blowtorch. <laughs> it's like, how cheap is your movie that you can't even have a real blowtorch go on for a moment? Instead, you have a little CGI flame that comes out. Yeah. It's amazing. I thought the special effects in last week's movie, Sicilian Vampire, were going to be the silliest special effects that I'd watched that year. But no, 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 that blowtorch is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. Like, I, I feel like it should win an award for its silliest special effect. <laughs> at the, is it, would that be at the Sillies or the Species? The Species. So the Special Effect Awards. The Species, where, hosted by Joe Pesci. <laughs> it's me, Joe Pesci. Once again, I'm hosting the Species. Your favorite award show for special effects and Pesci effects. <laughs> Uh, so the migrants get into America. Hooray. Uh, the teens talk on the phone with the old man in his hospital bed. All the migrants have drugs hidden under their shirts, which are it, ridiculously. And the get, and it's, here's where, okay. So they get brought across the border. It seems like the drugs are being stolen from them, but by the people who already brought them across. Yeah. And yeah, by the coyotes. The drugs, yeah, the coyotes. And they're dividing the drugs up into bags and they're like, this is for the politicians. This is for the stockbrokers. This is for the CEOs. This is for the lawyers. Like all of Neil Breen's enemies get yeah. announced right off the bat as all, drug dealers, drug users who the drug 
not even just the big drug dealers know who their cl- customers are. The mules and everybody know who the customers are. Like, yeah. it's just an open secret, I guess, the, that everybody uses drugs. This is also one of uh, Neil Breen's favorite tropes, where his enemies are referred to in the most vague way possible, too, though. Like, it's just like, the bankers are the bad guys, or... Oh, the lawyers are doing something. It's never any specific bank or specific lawyer or specific crime that's uh, talked about. It's just like they're just doing their bad big business stuff. Well, it's a specific – it's a yeah. tactic that artists – that great artists have used for a long time where you just make vague references. Oh, and yeah. if you get offended, it's like guilty conscience much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or the whole thing is like a, a bad political cartoon where everything's labeled really explicitly. Yeah. Who's that Where's fucking my, asshole? A, Who's that one fucking right wing cartoonist who does that fucking terrible shit? Oh god, the damn one it. who does the stuff in the post. Yeah, yeah. he's the worst. Ugh. He's the worst. Uh, anyway, the the leader of the gang is a black woman, which just shows that Neil is woke, or because his casting is diverse, or it shows that black women are bad guys. I don't know. I don't know, Neil. Where do you fall on the spectrum? <laughs> Uh, and I, I, although yeah, I like that, I, and of course, yeah. the others. I like that we have a strong female character at this point. Oh yeah, she's like the Imperator Furiosa of. The so world. I think at this point uh, we've already probably been introduced to some additional characters. Maybe you're going to get to this, Elliot. But we have uh, we have a pair of migrants who are who have, uh, escaped. Who have escaped, and they are they appear to be of the <laughs> same age. But no, no, no. We are introduced to them as they loudly shout their relationship to each other, being, you're my niece, uh, you're my sister's daughter, we've got to <laughs> run. <laughs> we have to keep running, you're my mother's, your mother is my sister, you're my niece. I, I would love that oh, if and like... One of them is, and one is black and the other appears to be Latino. Yeah. So it, it's it's a, you know... But you were saying, Dan, you love what? No, I would just love if that was the way that 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 character just said everything. They they said something and then had to define it afterwards. Like, we need to keep running. Webster's Dictionary defines <laughs> running as a motion. Between, like, I mean, as, it's great. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, the woman gang, why are they escaping? Because the female gang leader has shot a boy and his grandma and locked all the other migrants into trailers. So uh, this woman and her, sis- and her sister's daughter, her niece... Uh, they're on the run. Neil Breen, meanwhile, he finds the painted rocks from earlier, which are just sitting out there. Yeah. And also the tiger. He and the tiger stare at each other. There's a glowing dot on a painted hand. Now, when they and, uh, Breen- when they stare at each other, Elliot, does it look to you like that tiger is sitting in a field of snow and Neil Green's Neil Green. Ugh, woofa doofa. I just put my foot oh, in my boy. mouth. Neil Breen's face looks like it's just superimposed over this image of a tiger sitting in snow. Uh, that is exactly what it looks like. Or is that snow supposed to represent the drugs that are being muled over the border every day? Oh, interesting read. I think that that snow represents that Neil could most easily get stock footage of a tiger in the snow uh-huh. and decided that it was good enough because... He seems to be, first it seems like maybe he and the tiger are challenging each other. No, they're communing. Their spirits communing together, but really more that he's sharing a, a very sensitive moment with stock footage of a tiger. <laughs> and at a certain point, it just seems like he's standing in front of stock footage of a tiger. Uh, in voiceover, here's where the voiceover comes in. Neil Breen begins to narrate. Says, just states it outright. He's a robot from the future who's come to cleanse the human species. Oh, okay. So uh, it's one of those tropes where. Okay, uh, buckle up, guys. Yeah. Oh boy. 
one of those tropes where an alien of or robot or whatever has taken or time traveler has taken the form of a dead person and will now go about their mysterious business. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the kids are searching the desert for the thing the old man thought they'd found. They pass Breen as a bum, and uh, they it's and they just kind of like just keep walking. Uh, the migrants are They're like, don't look at the dead hobo, just let it yeah, lie. The kids are. Super. I mean, there's a whole movie about kids trying to go out of their way to see a dead body. (laughs) These kids could not give a shit about this dead body. They couldn't care less. It is, if anything, it's just an inconvenience to their day. Uh, There's then you get to uh, all the migrants are thrown in. The men are thrown into a bus. The women are thrown into a bedroom. One very poignantly places a rose into a can, Uh, and the gang lady yells at them. Uh, the women on, on the run, the, the woman and her niece, yeah. they find Neil Breen's gross trailer, and it is let's do, Dan, how would you describe this trailer? Is it the ultimate bachelor pad? Yeah, it's a real man cave. It's uh <laughs> It's no, got I, it's got that one standing lamp that all single guys have in the corner. No, it's got like your uh Oh wow. Uh, yeah, another helicopter. Another helicopter. Did you move there, to a helicopter pad? Is yeah. That, <laughs> Your house? Now? Yeah. I, yeah. I, did I you move? A helicopter to landing. Okay. <laughs> I feel like we should have. It's a, called it. I feel like we should have some sort of musical sting whenever a helicopter goes by or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a company now called Kalicopter, mm-hmm. uh, where you don't. I don't own the helicopter, but I do give you permission to fly it by my house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why do they want to do that? I don't see what they're, they're getting out of that deal. I will. I will. I, hey, I don't know, but it's the the money is good. Dirty mm-hmm. deeds done dirt cheap. Yeah. You know, whatever. I don't know, but uh, the I will say, living in LA sometimes does feel like you're in a movie. We had some people over for dinner, and my house looks out on the Silver Lake Reservoir at night. You see the cars driving by on the other side, and it was literally like we witnessed a police chase going by across the the across the water, and then helicopters flying over, and it was just like we were we were literally the bystanders in a movie that you cut to for a minute to show that. Other people exist in this world of car chases mm-hmm. to make the danger of the car chase right. that much more real. And it was like, oh, I just, I was just an extra in my own life. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. Did you guys all do spit takes at the same time when you saw the cars racing by? And and a dog went, huh? Yeah. And I didn't even know I had a dog. And the weird thing is, you were you were uh, carrying a big pane of glass at the time too, which shattered as the cars went through. But the glass just shattered out of surprise. Yeah, that's yeah. the that's the strange thing. Yeah, everybody did a spit said, take onto the glass, and then it shattered. <laughs> so hard that it shattered, mm-hmm. revealing a DVD copy of the movie Shattered Glass starring uh, Hayden Christensen. Mm-hmm. Now, was this the point in the movie, uh, I'm still so distracted by this helicopter. We talked, sorry, we're t- I'll tell it to quiet down. Oh, whoa, it's so low, this is crazy. Oh, you know what it's doing? It's a firecopter, and I think it's picking up water from the reservoir. Oh, okay. So there might be a fire in the hills. Which is maybe the most exciting thing I've ever, most dramatic movie thing I've ever said yeah. in real life. There might be a fire in the hill. <laughs> now, is this the point in the movie where Neil Breen is trying to get the uh, woman to trust him and come into his? Uh, yeah, so he, he has to clean up his. So he he's got to clean up that bachelor so, pad. So he he lives in a bachelor pad that's essentially a dirty mattress on the floor yeah. of a trailer. With not, which doesn't even have full walls around it. Mm-hmm. So if ever there was a place that a murderer would lure you into, this is it. Yeah, yeah. like this is the place. It's the human equivalent of like when a, a scorpion hiding under a rock or something like that. But he's like, no, no, no. 
Uh, he's he's telling them it's safe when and uh, he goes, "I'll clean it," which just means a shot of him taking cans one by one and throwing them out the out just throwing them outside the trailer. Yeah, but the best part so, is great. So, there's a the woman is standing outside the trailer. And you get these reaction shots as like cans fly past her, or, like they, and she's just like ah, ah, like she's just like so creeped out by the idea of trash that she has to react to every single thing that flies past her as he throws it. I want to take a moment to talk about this woman who I don't know the name of the actress. I don't remember it. Uh, she is so like she's got such heavy makeup for someone who has just been crossing the desert yeah. on the run for their lives, and she like, but you can tell that. She and Neil have a real connection. Uh-huh. You know? Oh, cool. Okay. I wonder if they're going out. Do I hear wedding bells? Uh, maybe. I, it could just be the helicopter. Yeah. That's a good point. Oh, oh the helicopter has bells hanging <laughs> on it. Yep. No, that's what it is. <laughs> but it's wedding bells. It's a, it's a, it's a bellicopter. Okay. But, I mean, there is a helicopter called a bell helicopter, right? Like a Huey? Uh, I don't know. I am not a helicopter expert, nor have I ever claimed to be one. Uh, Sir, Dan, your business card says comedy writer slash helicopter expert. That's helicopter mm-hmm. parenting. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get it now. Okay. I apologize. That's on me. You know what? From everybody here at the Clubhouse. <laughs> uh, 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 mea culpa. I was about to say bonus. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing as mea culpa. That's really manja, nice manja. <laughs> I mean, he, uh, they okay. may have, so, they, he, she, he may have a special relationship with this woman because unlike most of his uh, female leads, he does not make her to be half topless at any point in the film. She does later on lift up her shirt so you can see her back and see there's a tattoo of a tiger there. Yeah. But yeah, she doesn't. Wait a minute. Of, she has a tattoo of a tiger and there's also a tiger in the movie. No, that's 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 just got to be a coincidence, guys. <laughs> and uh, I actually think it's that it, it's just supposed to be telling us that she really liked the movie Wanted. Oh, and right. She saw that tiger tattoo on Angelina Jolie's back. She's like, I want a tattoo like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, it's all symbols that symbols within symbols. So we see the girl migrants at their house. They talk very openly about being addicts, being weak, how much they hate the corrupt politicians of their home countries, which are never named. One of them just goes, I'm pregnant. <laughs> uh, and it. <laughs> and it felt like a community theater production of Orange is the New Black. Just like diverse women in a room just just talking out loud their problems. Uh, and uh, meanwhile on the bus, two guys fight over a water jug. And it is hilarious. It is like the pissiest, least dramatic fight over life-giving water yeah. that I think I've ever seen. It's like if the entire movie Waterworld was just two guys on a bus arguing, like just mad at each other because they don't like sitting next to each other. Yeah. Was. Okay, Breen wanders the desert talking about like how we shall all be one and things like that. Uh, there's a lot of Neil Breen philosophical voiceovers that are just kind of nonsense throughout the movie over shots of him wandering through the desert. Uh, they, meanwhile, at the migrant house, one of the, one of the migrant women hangs herself in the shower and the leader of the gang, the lady, she goes, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Neil has more monologues about how only the laws of the spirit realm remain the same. Human laws are constantly changing. Uh, Neil, the niece falls asleep in the desert, and Neil Breen does he like emerge out of a rock and talk to her? <sighs> it's very. She calls. I don't remember. Dude. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, then Breen goes tries to approach the ant, and she throws a rock at him in self defense, but then apologizes and cleans the wound on his head with a tissue. Uh-huh. And by cleans, I mean just kind of like smears at it. Yeah. The tissue she already with what you have to assume is a filthy tissue. She's been carrying it with her. 
Filthy with Either she's, with the makeup that she's had to remove before she reapplies every morning. Either that or she found it on the floor of Neil Breen's trailer, which means who knows what p- parasites and oh, bacteria God. are crawling on that thing. Terrible. Uh, later, she asks him how he's doing, and he says, I'm fine. Uh, and she <laughs> says to herself, who is this guy? And uh, he names himself, he introduces himself as Till and spells it T-H-G-I-L. And it's only a little later that she realizes he saw the word light on a on a package that he threw out of his trailer and took that as his name. Yeah, but it but made it back. I love that he in order to facilitate this realization of hers, he made a point of spelling out the name that he just came up with by looking at a thing. (laughs) Because Till doesn't does not. I mean, if you saw that those letters, you'd be like, oh, my name's Thagil. Yeah, like that, that would make more sense. But this is also we're like. At that point, I think we're almost halfway through the movie, and this is when the characters start getting names. Yeah. Up till now, they've they've just been anonymous figures. Well, you know, they're uh, allegorical thought, figures. Yeah, I thought we were introduced to the 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 two women, Kim and what's the troll? No, what's their niece's name? It's like her name is Kim. Like they they have the most like I don't know like mundane like that's my like a person you'd bump into the mall name. You mean like like Bedelia? Yeah. Yep, yep, a totally normal name that you <laughs> that you get sick of hearing. Like Zerelda? Yep, a, no, a name that's so common that when they're on an ep- uh, on a season of The Bachelor, you're like, "That's Bedelia. This is Bedelia two. This is this is BD." <laughs> oh, okay. Like Xanthippe. Yep. Yeah. Like a name like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like Zenobia, a name like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, like a normal lady name. Uh, more voiceover from Neil Breen about how in taking on human form, uh, he takes on human feeling and is vulnerable to human traits. Don't know what that means? Never gets explained. <laughs> he also says that everything that power does, it does in a circle. And he starts just spinning around in circles among ringstones. And that goes on for a while. Now, I think those... Him spinning in place, I feel like, like a toddler. I feel like that's where the, the ringstones are. Uh, listeners can write in and tell me. But I feel like that's the place where they shot some of the scenes from Bone Tomahawk. Uh, some of the early stuff with like Sid Haig and stuff where the crazy cannibals are living. But Oh, could be. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Those were not the cannibals you want to be around. The <laughs> bone the the that those tomahawk cannibals, they were crazy cannibals. They were neither fine nor young. <laughs> no. I don't want to be a can- around a cannibal. I wanted to be a fine young cannibal. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, they drive you crazy or whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> Now, would you call Hannibal Lecter, as portrayed by Anthony Hopkins, a fine old cannibal? Because he's no longer young, but he's very elegant. Yeah. I mean, I think he's pretty fine. He's delicate. Yes, he's, he's like a fine old cannibal. He's like now, a fine wine hand, kind of fine. Yeah. <laughs> but what Now, what would a coarse young cannibal be? I guess that's the opposite of a fine young cannibal. I mean, a that's where you have, cannibal would be what you have whole grains of cannibal mixed in there. <laughs> Oh, I see. So it's grittier. The mouthfeel is different, but it's actually healthier. For yeah. You. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it healthier? Does it help you uh, help you do movements easier? Like, uh, yeah, I think so. Like what? I'm talking about I'm do? talking about bands, dude. Oh, OK. <laughs> like, wait, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, like a dance movement? Uh, Kind of. I think all the cool folks out there. I, I mean, I don't want to be too explicit because uh, this isn't a. This isn't an R-rated podcast. <laughs> it isn't? Oh, shit. <laughs> Wait, <got> damn! So, <laughs> I've got so much re-editing to do. Yeah, this is this I is guess. a PG-rated podcast, Dan, the whole time, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, Dan, the podcast version of Jack Valenti is very unhappy with you. Uh, I'm very distressed, by the way, whenever I hear of parents letting their kids listen to this podcast. I don't want to be responsible for that. I, uh, I worry about what I'm putting out into the world. You don't have to worry about it. You're not Charles Barkley. You're not a role model. Okay. <laughs> I'm certainly not a role model. That's true. <laughs> he, he, you know, just because just because you dominate the court doesn't mean that yeah. people should look to you for how to take care of their kids. Yeah, no. just because he beat the shit out of Godzilla uh-huh. doesn't mean he's a role model. <laughs> on the court. On the court. On the not court. in like... It wasn't... A, not in person. In a, fight, <laughs> in a fight, Godzilla would win because he has fire breath, and Charles Barkley has at best, what, like... Cold breath, maybe? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. It's not, not fair, too. Godzilla can't dribble with those little arms of his. Come on. He d- he dunks in the commercial. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, think of all the obstacles that Godzilla has to overcome in order to learn how to dunk with those little arms. Exactly. First off, his body is not designed for dunking. No. No. Although maybe no, he can use... Not, maybe It's hard to get hot vertical leaps with those legs. Although maybe he uses his tail, like when Godzilla does that like sliding drop kick attack. Where his tail is still attached to the ground. Uh, yeah. I'm assuming, like, propelling him forward like a slug might propel a human body forward. Right. This. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you know, when you're standing on a bunch of slugs and the slugs undulate their muscular body mass and you and you slide forward super quickly. <laughs> well, you know, when you're at the, when you're at a roller rink. <laughs> Oh, oh, when you're at a roller rink and they run out of roller skates, they just start handing out lots of Yeah, and you're like, uh, yeah, sure. and you're like, I want to, I want to impress this girl, make her my steady. So I'm gonna slide up, holding a fucking malted and uh, a thing of disco fries. And I'm glad you, you asked know, for clarification on this, by the way, Elliot, because I was willing to just accept it on its face. And I was amazed. At it. I was amazed at how easily you let it pass. Now, you were just like, "Yeah, slugs, I get it. Yeah, I'll tell you, sure." Okay. Now the problem is that the the roller rink that's a place where salted food is very common. Yeah. So you have to be careful when you navigate using your slug skates. That's one of two problems. One, you could accidentally <laughs> slug over a, a French fry and they die. Yeah. The other is at the end of the sluggy Hawkins skate, mm-hmm. which is uh-huh. the girls choose skate. Yep. Uh, the rink is just so coated in that ooze. It's just like you got to clean it up afterwards. And that's when they bring out what a Zamboni. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they scoop yeah, it all up. They feed the it to the Ninja the Turtles <laughs> so they get big and strong. <laughs> Wait, they put it on a pizza? Because that's what Ninja Turtles Yeah, of course they do. I mean, I said they feed it to fucking Ninja Turtles. How do you think that they fed it to them? With fucking, like, Dippin' Dots? They're not from the future, like- Elliot. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. No, some of the turtles are from the future, like that robot turtle. Okay, I guess you're right. Guys, uh, can I issue a retraction to my earlier statement? <laughs> the Ninja Turtles Thank are you, not yes. from the future. <laughs> What if uh, what if uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird they came out with a statement one day they held a press conference they're like by the way yeah all the yeah 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 were eating pizza all the- that was just a visual metaphor for them choking down a lot of slugs <laughs> yeah yeah all the news channels change they interrupt all the TV channels interrupt their programming for this press conference yeah. with Kevin we Eastman interrupt this coverage this live coverage of the Super Bowl right. to go direct to this press conference for Ninja Turtle creators no longer own the rights they sold it to Nickelodeon. Yep. Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, and you just go there, and Julie Strain is just introducing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. This is this set in the future, so I'm assuming they're interrupting a uh, screening of the TV show Young Sheldon, the most popular television show in history. <laughs> okay, here's my problem with Young Sheldon. Okay, okay. what's that? That's my only problem with it. Otherwise, it's flawless. 
Young Sheldon wears a bow tie, right, to signify that he's a nerd. Uh huh. Grown up Sheldon doesn't wear a fucking bow tie. He wears like superhero t shirts. That's the thing. At the end of season one, you're going to find out when he stopped wearing bow ties. Oh, I see. So that's the the ads are supposed to raise questions in my mind of like it's like a Better Call Saul type thing. That's the thing. Oh, when did he turn into Saul? It introduces stakes you didn't expect it would have. Okay, that's what's so impressive about it. Like in Young Sheldon, it opens up. Sheldon is a fucking awesome dude. He's partying all the time. He's not weird with anybody. By the end of that first season, he's a fucking maniac. Now, here's my question. Are they going to show him testing out different catchphrases? So yeah. maybe like, Bazoinga. Yeah, Bazingo. Barungo. Bazingo. You know, guys, we, guys, we were just making jokes, and then Elliot told a joke, and now I want to die forever. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, All right, so- we were just making jokes, and it just came over the wire that... Young Sheldon died. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. What a tragedy. Oh, he had so much left to give. Literally, in that now there's a time paradox. He's not going to become grown-up yeah. Sheldon. Okay, so, Stuart, you said you want to die forever. Let's do the next best thing, the closest equivalent, and talk some more about Neil Breen movies. Okay. Uh, so, so we're talking about, anyway. we're talking about a, a man from the future or a Ninja Turtle from the future. Uh-huh. Neil Breen's character says he's from the future. A future that I'm presuming nobody laughs at all because PC culture has killed comedy. <laughs> oh, well, we'll get to, yeah, because, well, first, before we get to Neil Breen's thesis statement, uh, Neil Breen makes an abandoned desert piano play music again and explains that music is magical, it's timeless. Uh, he talks a lot about you can't travel the path without becoming the path, blah, blah, blah. The ant realizes he made up his name. He says he's from the future, blah, blah, blah. Let's just skip. Uh, he shows that he has the magic ability to make cans rise into the air through uh-huh. an obvious reverse shot of cans falling down. Hangs out with that stock footage tiger again. Talks about how he can manipulate the planes of space and time mm-hmm. uh, and bend time. It all makes sense. How he can bend time. Yeah. Yeah. He says he's – and so here's where it starts in. He says he's going to eliminate humans who hurt other humans. That's what he was sent on the earth to do. That's why he's been wandering the desert talking to a tiger all this time. Now we start seeing news anchors at uh, (laughs) what is the first of many virtual sets. Mm -hmm. They were clearly in front of a green screen and a CGI room was put in behind them. And the news anchors badmouth politicians when they're off the air, but they kiss his ass when they're on camera and they call themselves out as biased. Uh, Is it because he uses – does he use magic to make them tell the truth? No, no, I think I think we're meant to see that as their hypocrisy. Oh, okay. They just don't give then, a fuck. They just like chatting about exactly. how they, uh, yeah, they're hypocrites. That's their favorite. About how they're biased and they're putting across their corporate parents' message, even though it's not the truth. But then they report, stunningly, and they have no footage to back this up and no sound bites to back it up, that the president and, quote, the prime minister, of which country we're never told, are missing, as have... Many management people. <laughs> and one of them literally says, it's as if all the harmful people on Earth are disappearing. Now, again, that's one editorializing completely. <laughs> Two, if a news anchor said on, said on camera, the president is missing, I guess all the harmful people in the world are gone. That would be crazy. That's not journalistic objectivity. Even with our current president, who is a bad person who hurts people. Mm-hmm. That's it, a, a journalist can't just go out and be like, president's missing. I guess all the bad people in the world are going away. Uh yeah, let's just move forward with our with our day. It's also a hell of a logical leap to be like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I figured it out. I've cracked it, guys. All the bad people are going now. It's like, well, it's like, hey, I I don't want to be a Slylock Fox or anything, <laughs> but uh, 
I know that four people have disappeared, so I'm going to assume all the people who are bad in the world are disappeared. I mean, that's a faster logical leap than the fucking leftovers, where they're like, yeah. a bunch of people disappeared. I guess everybody got raptured, dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, if the president uh, disappeared, I mean, even if our current president disappeared, I feel like half the people in, in the country would be like, oh, I guess the rapture's happening. I guess he was good anyway. <laughs> I guess he was the best of us. Yeah. Because he's the only one who disappeared. Uh Neil Breen takes it into his own hands to free all those migrants we saw earlier. He makes the gang members just disappear, and he yells, this is my universe, and he gets very mad at the gang lady and dissolves her into nothingness. He tells the women, go back to your country, stop being lazy, and overthrow your governments. Start revolutions. The time is now, and the migrants are all like, well, we escaped violence and persecution and economic inequality in our own nations, and for this grueling escape to another country, we have nothing right now. We're at the lowest ebb yeah. a human being can be at. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. I guess yeah. we'll just go back and I mean, throw our government. When this this handsome, muscular alien shows up and tells <laughs> them to go uh, back. I don't know if those are such Handsome, words. muscular, very dark-haired, Feral. beautiful man sends them back. They're like, sure, let's do it. nothing so much as like Jeff Goldblum after a bender. <laughs> yep. And maybe... Maybe his eyesight is very bad now. What is up with having watched this right after Sicilian Vampire? I'm struck by the idea that both these guys so obviously dye their thinning hair. Uh huh. <laughs> and like, man, I get it. You get old. You want to stay looking young. But like, I feel like it's such a symbol of these guys who are writer director stars <laughs> of their own movies <laughs> that they're like, we. I gotta stay young forever. There is a. It's like go on. No, no, I was just saying, it's like that little touch of real-life, everyday vanity among this enormous vanity project. But, Dan, what were you going to say? Oh, just that the going home and overthrowing your government also, like, raises, like, a weird question of the plot. Because Neil Breen is theoretically getting rid of all of the bad people on Earth. So mm-hmm. why do they have to go back and overthrow some people? Like, aren't those people gone by now? Well, you know, there are those people who are like... They aren't really bad, but they were in a bad situation. Oh, I, th- okay. I think it's I think it's two things. I think one is that he's trying to empower them and feel like they have some kind of ownership of their own revolution, even though he's secretly doing it. I think he's also kind of testing them because I think he's sending them back with this mission and they might accidentally or on purpose kill somebody who is not a bad person, in which case they'd be outing themselves as a bad person. So oh, he could remove, yeah, it's, <laughs> yep, it's Entrapment the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, now we get to the, the one of, the, this is, I think, my favorite scene in the whole movie, to be honest. Okay. Goes to, <laughs> yep, I know what you're talking about. He, when he goes to this, when he goes to the rich people's <laughs> Yes. Mansion, he goes to a mansion, makes the guards disappear. <laughs> he changes, with through magic, he changes his dirty jumpsuit into a tuxedo, or like a bit, a suit, and then... This is just scene after scene of him and different (laughs) people in front of very clearly like green screen composited in fancy rooms. And in each one, a different person is talking about how openly evil they are, how open like they bribe politicians. They're doing things with their companies that hurt people. They're ruining other people's lives. And they're so cheerful about it. And it's all so artificial that it feels like Neil Breen like walked into a like a game of The Sims where everyone's like corrupt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's like, it is, and it goes on forever. Like, he wants to make sure you really know all these people are bad. But as Dan was saying earlier, they talk about what they're doing in the vaguest possible terms. Yeah. They're like, my corporation and its affiliated banks 
have been bribing politicians and judges for decades to get what we want. And we're going to raise healthcare costs for ordinary people. And like that's this is the these are the conversations that they're having. Yeah, and he, then after each of those things, Neil Breen goes, But isn't that unethical? Isn't that betraying the public's trust? Do you think it do you think he made it this way? Do you, do you think he made it vague or ambiguous so that he could go back in later when when he sells this movie to different markets, they can just insert their own regional villains? Yeah. Oh, that's a very clever. Just like how in in other countries in Demolition Man, it wasn't Taco Bell that won the 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 restaurant wars, it was Pizza Hut because Taco Bell wasn't available in certain markets. Oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can learn a lot when you just go on YouTube and look up Demolition Man. <laughs> 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 you certainly can oh, learn a lot. <laughs> Tip from a pro. Like, oh, I, I really need to figure out how to unclog my dishwasher. I'll go on YouTube. <laughs> let's see. Let's see what Simon Phoenix would do with that. Oh, he'd, he'd put some dynamite in it. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll try it. He'd use three shells somehow, unexplained. Uh they, and uh, this goes on for a long time, this cycle of repetitive scenes. And then he leaves and they all go, who was that guy? And then Neil Breen is outside the mansion and he blows it up. With CGI explosions. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, why did he bother? He like it, this endless scenes of people talking about how evil they are, him going, but isn't that corrupt? And then walking outside and blowing up the building. Uh, <laughs> the reporters are announcing more disappearances of harmful people worldwide it's very repetitive. Apparently, they, they go out of their way to mention that reality show casts have also disappeared. And then they say, the wars have stopped, and those causing the wars have vanished. <laughs> and they announce that whole judicial systems cannot be found. Like, it's the way they're phrasing it is crazy, and they're so not excited or worried. Like, if this was really happening, and again, there's no point in a Neil Breen movie that you can ever say if this was really happening. It so, exists on a different plane of, of reality. But if this is really happy, you've got happening. You got to imagine there'd be some sort of panic, even if they weren't prominent people who were disappearing. Yeah, this means that thousands, if not millions, of people are just disappearing worldwide. And I want to mention that this too, also, just this is a, another Neil Breen trope: is there's always some sort of a reaping in his <laughs> movies. Like <laughs> he is clearly a guy who has deep bitterness towards something i'm not sure exactly what but he always want like he just like wants to kill bad people in his movies i, I don't know about you guys Humanity but the society at large. the yeah. idea that the idea that he's a guy who is able to fund his vanity project movies like he should be on top of the fucking world dude why does he have this chip on his shoulder yeah look he's doing what he loves look, he he's he's able to express himself creatively isn't that what we all want very true. But he has this message and he wants to change the world for the better and he's got to get that. You know, it's just the weight of the world is on his shoulders because no one understands the way he does what needs to be done, which is apparently the murder of most of the human population. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it gets a little unclear at this point whether Breen is an alien or a robot from the future. Uh, and it was around this point that I started realizing I think Neil Breen might be an alien or a robot from the future <laughs> yeah. because he it seems to have never heard a human being speak. And doesn't know how to replicate those those vocal patterns. He appears on the news set, makes the anchors disappear, sits down, which I find hilarious. That he then is like, "Well, now it's my turn to, to t- use the anchor." Down. Time to take a load off. <laughs> <laughs> I've been disappearing people all over the world. Got to rest my dogs. Uh, and then he just explains the plot to the camera for a while. He talks about how human evolution has ended. We've reached our genetic and psychological limits. He says. 
And uh, we have an inability to be honest and fair, and all the media has been sullied. And he talks about corruption. He throws political correctness in and says that it has ruined the human species. Mm -hmm. It's like that is a huge (laughs) – that's a huge buy-in to say that political correctness, which you have to assume at this point just means not saying things that are intolerant to other people. Elliot, you have to understand that young upcoming comedians – are under attack because they can't use the same jokes older comedians got away with decades ago. And older comedians, (laughs) when they play at colleges, can no longer use material that used to work in Vegas perfectly well for drunk middle-aged... Are you saying older comedians that are... Are you saying older comedians that are about as old as my fucking dad aren't relevant to college kids anymore? Big fucking surprise. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. But it's also – that's ruined the human species. And then he says, I have eliminated 300 million humans from the planet today, which percentage-wise is not that much. There's over, what, 6 billion people on the planet, 7 billion people. But 300 million people, like that's almost the population of the United States. Neil Breen apparently was wandering the earth just disappearing on his own. Yeah, well, this – I just want to yeah reiterate, this is our hero. This is the hero of the movie has killed 300 million people. Oh, I'm so glad that you just said that because when when you interrupted Elliot, I was worried you were about to start railing against PC culture again, Dan. Well, oh, yeah. Look. I hope the listeners are never subjected to the rants that Dan subjects us to off the mic. Dan's like, look, isn't my inability to make fun of trans people, if anything, more intolerant than their inability to use public bathrooms in some states? Yeah. He's like, these are my First Amendment rights. <laughs> I guess, I guess, Elliot, you're not interested in pushing bra- boundaries and moving the medium forward. <laughs> <laughs> no, good point. I want to move it backwards. If Family Guy can't do it, Elliot, what are we as a society to do? Nowadays, you couldn't put the Chappelle show out. <laughs> what could we do? It's as if all of humanity's works are dust. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is interesting because Neil Breen literally says about all the bad and dishonest people in the world, I have turned them all to dust. And he talks about how we need to overthrow our failed bureaucratic system <laughs> and all the corporations. We need to violate laws and regulations. Like he turns into cosmic Alex Jones yeah. and goes that, and he says the cleanse has begun. And it was at this point that like, to be honest, the movie stopped being fun for me to watch. Like fatal findings. I found so fun and vital findings. <laughs> What was it? What did I say? Vital findings. Oh, fateful. Fate, fateful. F- fate, fate, fateful. Uh, fateful. Fateful findings. Are you, are you okay over there, Elliot? Fa- when I was watching Final Fantasy Findings, <laughs> uh, I, fa- they were t- I was like, this is hilarious. This guy's so crazy, blah, blah, blah. Is at this point where he's, and maybe, and I, no, not maybe. It's because of where we are as a country right now that watching this crazy man sitting on a news anchor set saying to the camera, or not on a set, I'm sorry, in front of a poorly composited image of a news uh channel saying we need to uh, are all these things are ruining humanity we need to overthrow them the cleanse has begun i was like oh like this is a fascist movie like this is not a fun movie for me anymore even knowing that nobody watches this movie like no the only people who watch this movie are watching it to make fun of it but it was knowing that neil breen like feels these things deeply enough that it it's now this open in his films i was like uh I like it's less fun to me to make fun of him. Although, if anyone was listening to this episode, they know I'm having a great time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, that's p- so. I guess not as much as I thought. I mean, that that's kind of how we feel after reviewing a Frank D'Angelo movie like Sicilian Vampire, where you're like, "Oh yeah, he's a total shithead," 
who uh, like took legal actions against a woman who accused him of what, like sexual abuse or something? Yeah, something like that. Sexual assault. Yeah. They're like, you know, that is the thing. It's like, this guy's crazy. Look at this crazy movie. Oh, also, he used his money to basically buy, all, buy his way out of sexual assault charges or out of a conviction even, I think. Uh, if I'm remembering, I can't remember correctly, but like that was the story about like then the judge and I think the prosecutor were at a party at Frank D'Angelo's restaurant afterwards. Uh-huh. And stuff. It's like, so it's, I guess and they're I like, remember that. you know about those charges, forget about it. Oh, great uh, one. Yeah. 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 Scene from the movie. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, now here's the thing. I guess what it is, is that not everyone who makes bad movies is a good person. And it really makes me value the people who make big Hollywood bad movies because they seem to be, you know, not, they're not, don't seem to be bad guys and, and ladies. They're just, you know, uh, sellouts or do, or th- people who lost control of a production or sometimes they're bad guys. But it seems like there's, it was just like, it's always jarring to watch a thing for fun and be like, Oh, the, uh, the, the, the person who made this in their real life is a monster. I, I don't. Yeah. Is a, is a something of a, monster. And, and on some level you've supported them financially. Yeah. Yeah. Or gotten there, were helped get their message out. Yeah, chilling, really. Which is why uh, <laughs> next time we'll be talking about like Boss Baby. Or something, exactly. I, I don't know. Oh, uh, dude, you don't want to anyway. know the things that Boss Baby did. <laughs> oh no! And all the anytime a baby gets into power, they're just you know. <laughs> I would like to. Uh, what if it was? Now this is something. What, I what if the say, end of Boss Baby anyway. was Boss Baby killing eight hundred million people? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I mean that would be a that would be the more than any person has ever killed ever. So for a baby, that's pretty yeah. impressive. But uh, the idea that uh, Boss Baby is he's charged with sexual harassment and for grabbing a woman's breasts, and then in his defense is, "I'm a baby. I was hungry. What are you supposed to do? <laughs> oh, come on, I'm a, just a baby." And of course, it turns out that he's just like an escaped. <laughs> You know, a, a short convict. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. The scenario. fucking plot of Little Man over here, <laughs> which was itself a ripoff of a Looney to- of a Bugs Bunny yeah, cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. But uh, anyway, so that's what Boss Baby turns out to be about, I guess. Anyway, the teens pick up their signal. They can see it clearly. They bring their professor out to the desert. Neil Brain, he's he's back out in the desert again. He says it does not require many words to speak the truth. And this is after he's given like a six minute long speech about how terrible the world is. Uh, they they take their old man into the desert, but they say, "Oh no, the authorities might on the be on the way too. They must have picked up the." Signal. It feels like his. So, it feels like his wheelchair wasn't designed for off road travel. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Well, they had just watched Bloodsport, uh-huh. and they were like, "If if Jean Claude Van Damme's wheelchair bound mentor can be in the jungle in that one, then our wheelchair bound mentor can go in the desert." Uh-huh. <laughs> That's probably right. That was Bloodsport, right? I think it was. Um. They go, they meet, they meet Neil Breen and they love him. They're like, take us with you. And it made me imagine a teen magazine for fans of Neil Breen called Breen Teens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where it, every, there's always a pinup of Neil Breen and just like stories about him and quizzes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's probably a market for that magazine, right? Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, clearly we were just talking about how he has uh, kind of crazy fascist beliefs, so... <laughs> I bet there's there's probably people who'd like to read it. <laughs> yeah, or it's called like Tiger Breen or something like that. <laughs> Tiger Breen. But, uh, which makes sense. There's tigers all over this yep. movie. Just a bunch uh, of pinups of his Breen taint. Breen explains to them. <laughs> did you say <laughs> pinups of his taint, Dan? Yeah, I did say This that. was a PG podcast <laughs> before that. <laughs> taint pushes it up to PG-13. <laughs> Didn't you read the rules? 
Dan, now we can only say the F word once mm-hmm. before our rating gets pushed up again. I'm sorry, guys. I uh, didn't know that we were <laughs> restricting uh, the quadrants that our movie or our podcast could play to. Yeah, that's okay. This used to be a four quadrant. This used to be a four quadrant podcast: teens, grownups, manatees, and also trees. <laughs> what, what, now, what about man? What about manatees? Quadrant movie, just trees. Manatrees yep. or manatees? Manatr- either one, dude. <laughs> I think they're they're, they're both okay, assholes. <laughs> no, no, those are our listeners, Stuart. What do you, come on. I don't, guys, let me tell you something about mana trees. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but Neil, before you think that there's going to be like a shootout with the police or something, Neil Breen says, no, I blocked the signal. Nobody can see it but you. Uh, but here's how people will believe you met me. Here's some future jewels that you can use as proof. And he just gives them like shiny secrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he just dumps them into their hand. <laughs> now, what the teens are supposed to tell people about meeting Neil Breen, I have no idea. And how those future jewels that he's dumped. I mean, in we're having a difficult enough time yeah. describing Neil Breen today on this podcast. <laughs> and he's not even an alien robot, and we're not teens. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the the niece goes missing, and they find her. The aunt screams, "We have to find her!" Like ten thousand times. They track her to an abandoned mine. <laughs> there's a guy there who you think at first is going to be a threat, but no, he's just a guy who likes to hang out and make fake ghost shadows on the wall <laughs> to scare people away. Uh, and he's and he's there the suffering hands. from PTSD, right? Yes, and with a wave of his hand, Neil Breen frees him of his PTSD. Now that's more plot than I think the rest of the movie contains, and they pack it into like two and a half minutes. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry, Elliot. I got a cat bumping into the uh, microphone. <laughs> okay, go on. Continue. <laughs> uh, Neil Breen welcomes back the spirits of people he killed earlier. Yep. Uh, and he brings people back oh, to yeah. life. I forgot uh, about that. Jesus. That he has the power of life and death these. like that. Did you yeah. did you mention so that the, the, the aunt's ex-husband comes after her? With a gun and kills her? You know what it was? I, cu- I couldn't remember who that... I didn't know who that character was. Yeah. So, yeah. Just a random person who... Yeah, it's it's her ex-husband. Yep. Who, who, <laughs> who we is, haven't heard about, I feel like, for the rest of the movie. Ever. Yeah, he's tracked her down over the border, over that fence that the migrants knocked over. And uh, he, I guess, shoots her, right? Yeah, in the head. In the, in the head, yeah. Uh, and then luckily Neil Breen, uh, makes him shoot himself and then he brings her back to life. I guess he decided he didn't want to use his disappearing powers on that one. Not worth it. <laughs> I'll just let you shoot yourself in the head. Yeah. Brings them and the aunt and the, and the aunt and the niece can't agree on whether they're going to go with Neil Breen to wherever he's going. And, uh, Neil Breen and the aunt's hands in close up, they lightly touch pinkies uh-huh. very tentatively yep. for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's the closest the movie has to a sex scene. It's just too... Two pinkies kind of touching and then moving away and then touching again and moving away. And I cannot imagine what it's supposed to be communicating. I mean, in uh, this in this crazy world, that's about all the human contact we really have, right? Yeah. Just pinkies. Just pinkies. I, mean, I guess what, what he's saying is the only true bond between humans is the pinky swear. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what <laughs> which he's is, saying. Which is why in this new world that he's creating... Uh, Michelle from Full House will be the true leader and divine inspiration. Uh, yeah, that makes uh, sense. And, and now, okay, we're wrapping up the end of the movie. 
The teens stumble on a vast field of dead bodies, and Neil Breen explains, <laughs> the cleanse has begun. Yeah. And it's like, what the, what? <laughs> it seems sort of inconsiderate of him, like, knowing that he can make people just disappear, that he left his, like, killing fields there. Like, there's just, like, corpses are <laughs> rotting in the that. sun there. I kind of assume that that's where they go when he's oh, okay. like when he makes them disappear. Right. Like he kind of it, like, they go out to the desert, wishing him to the cornfield. Yeah, he just wishes them into the desert, yeah. and and they and the teens are pretty happy about this. They've just stumbled on a, as far as the eye can see to the horizon. It's just dead human bodies, formerly living people, rotting in the sun. Yeah. So I mean, cool. they appear to be happy. I'm assuming at this point their minds are completely broken at oh, the yeah. scale of of the loss. Yeah. And they're like the scale of the loss, and also and like what what do they have to do to keep from being amongst the dead? Well, that yeah. do they have to pretend to like that pile of shitty glitter that Neil Breen poured into their hands? <laughs> this I it's like they they're like okay, I'm being confronted with a homicidal robot alien from the future that can bend space and time and can kill with a thought, and he's just filling my hand with crappy sequins. I gotta play along with it because what. He, the other thing is, Neil Breen, all he says is, don't harm other people. Well, wh- well, what does that mean? So they're like, if I hurt his, well, I hurt his feelings by saying I don't want these, these, these glittery rocks. And then he'll be like, oh, you hurt a person and he'll disappear me. What, like everyone's going to live on, on the edge of doubt at all times that they could be disappeared at any moment by this arbitrary cosmic judge of human behavior. Yeah, it's that, uh, that Twilight Zone, the movie sequence, right? With the little kid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a good life. It basically that. Yeah, where everyone's like, huh, yeah, it's a good thing you made all those people disappear, Neil Green. <laughs> oh, it's a good thing you poured all these sequins into It's a good hands. thing you rented oh. a drone for all those shots, Neil Breen. It really <laughs> captures oh. the majesty of the painted desert. <laughs> it's a very convincing tiger, Neil. Oh, no, it very much looks like there's a real tiger there. Uh, and, of course, Neil Breen walks off through the, bo- the, the field of dead bodies, and the dead bodies disappear behind him and s- explains again, the humans must cleanse. To survive, uh, to survive as a species. And then uh, he gets sparkly green effects thrown on him, which I guess means that he's also dissolving into, uh, into space. Yeah. And the, the northern lights get superimposed on the sky, but they're also green, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. So when, I, so when, we, you, so when you said Neil Green earlier, mm-hmm. I think maybe you just knew a little bit more than we thought. Yeah, I think you're right. I think this movie was not very good, guys. <laughs> oh. It's like spoiler alert. All the things it's got all the like worst. It's so cheap looking. It's so nonsensical. Everything in it is bad. The message is horrifying and terrible. It's like I felt like with fateful findings. I was seeing inside the mind of a weirdo. And now I'm like, oh, no, no. I'm seeing much deeper into that mind that I wanted to see. Like he's uh, his message is a little too clear for me. And I want to step back a little. Yeah. When we were watching it, when we were watching the movie, Dan, I mean, I think it's been described before, but it it is like watching a movie by David Lynch if David Lynch had no talent, but also if David Lynch was a crazy fascist weirdo. Instead of a sort of a jolly Midwestern type. Yeah, apparently very congenial weirdo. David Lynch. Yeah, whose only real message is that people should meditate. Yeah. Uh, What a nice guy. Yeah. Anyway. We should do our final judgments, whether this is a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie we kind of liked. Elliot, you're shaking your head. You are you look like you I have to unburden like yourself. It's so, like, this is a difficult one, because on, a, on the face, this is 
It's like, it's a Neil Breen movie. It's a good, bad movie. It makes no sense. You got to dig a little harder on this one because there's so much less going on. And it's so, it's crazy and it's so cheap looking, but it's so like toxic on a certain level. Yeah. uh, That it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, audience. It's Neil Breen. uh, Maybe he needs to go for like a romantic comedy next time. You know, a little lighter. Yeah. What would that look like? I think it would look like his bare ass. (laughs) (laughs) And yet some, and somehow in the romantic comedy, he would still end up killing like 10 people. He decided don't deserve to. Yeah. You know what it is? Neil Breen is like, if Steve Ditko had never created Uh Spider-Man and he'd just gone and also was not talented. I mean, Steve Ditko is also one of the most talented comics artists there ever was just in terms of sheer layout and everything. But, uh, if 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 Steve did you did you hear that Steve Ditko never sold any of his original artwork? Yeah, he uses it as as cutting board. Insane, like because he's so he's I mean he's just too pure. He won't do he that work. He he sees no value in. But uh the but if Steve Ditko never created Spider Man and just went straight to like Mister A and all his characters that let criminals die. Yeah, like the uh, that's that's what Neil Breen is kind of like, but in movie form. Yeah, I. I say this is a a good bad movie. Like if you enjoy the work of Neil Breen, then boy howdy, is this the brainiest movie you can see? And 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 keep uh, and keep your peepers peeled because they snuck a little Easter egg in the back uh, back of one of the shots where you can see his denim vest from I Am Here dot 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 now. No no no, it's I'm here dot 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 dot. He can't even do it on ellipses. Correctly. Oh shit! His four dots in his title, but uh. Yeah, I would say that. Well, that's Neil. Everything takes place because everything takes place in the Breeniverse or the Breen Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. BCU. Yeah. But I, I would say that you, this movie is uh, like Fateful Findings is, in a weird way, his most accomplished film. Like having seen them all <laughs> now, uh, that's the one with the closest thing to a traditional narrative that you can hang your hat on. And so, and I feel like more stuff happens. Like, yeah. I, in both, this is, I'm, I'm with you guys. I think this is a good, bad movie. Uh, but I don't feel like there's quite as much meat on the bone here. Yeah. That meat is tender and delicious, but there's just not as much of it as in Fateful yeah. Findings. So I guess what I'm saying is if you haven't seen either of them, start out with Fateful Findings. That's that's the fun one. Yeah, so you won't be able to appreciate the other ones as much. That makes perfect sense, uh, Dan, as opposed to building yourself up to the best one. Well, you can do it do it however you want to do it, Ben. I think you should you should what I call the Neil Breen machete method, mm-hmm. which is you watch the first half of Fateful Findings, then you watch his other movies, and then you finish Fateful Findings. All right, okay. I think we've cracked we did it, it, guys. Okay. How how could we ever have cracked that movie? It's like it's still a it's a it's a riddle too too harshly constructed for us to even get through it. I feel like it's it's the equivalent of. Um, the puzzle box from Hellraiser. Yeah, the Lammershan configuration. So, except it's so complicated that nobody ever finishes it. Yeah. That would <laughs> yeah, be, that would be a really boring my, Hellraiser, dude. <laughs> that's my sketch. That's my Hellraiser sketch for a sketch comedy show. That I, is, uh, that's my pitch is someone finds that and they just can't seem to solve it. And Pinhead is in the other dimension watching this being like, come on, just like. Turn He's it. like, it's so turn obvious. It. Just turn it in that. Turn that part. Cut. The circle part matches up go. with the other circle. I wish I could just go in there and do it for you. Like, oh, God. And the guy's like, oh, this, this sucks. And just puts it aside. <laughs> he just can't figure out how to solve it. Uh, we've got. And, and Pinhead turns to CD Head and says, we're going to need a, a simpler puzzle box. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
How's it going, everyone? I'm Oliver Wang. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. We have a brand new show on the Maximum Fun Network that we'd love to share with you. It's called Heat Rocks. Morgan, we should probably explain what a heat rock is. It is a banger, a fire track, true fire. Right. Dope album. Each episode, we will bring on a special guest to join us to talk about one of their heat rocks. It might be a musician. A writer. Maybe a scholar. I mean, I would have been happy to just talk to you about your heat rocks, but this is a different show. Yeah. So. I think people might enjoy hearing maybe the guests instead. To do that, you'll have to go to MaximumFun.org. So if you want to talk about hot music, you should check us out. Heat Rocks. Every week on Inside Pop, we take turns recommending something great from the world of pop culture to each other. And in the month of October, we're going big, very big, with the Big Cell 30. Every day for 30 days, we're going to suggest some type of pop culture to check out. Things that may not be on your radar, but will be well worth trying. From TV to music to movies and more, the Big Cell 30 is as irresistible as a Jedi mind trick. As convincing as an Annalise Keating closing argument. And as seductive as Miguel singing a ballad shirtless and slightly sweaty. Follow us on Twitter at Pop Insiders for daily big sells and listen to Inside Pop every week for big sells from some special guests. The Big Sell 30 starts October 1st and runs every day of the month on Inside Pop. So we have a sponsor Yay! for the show. And that's I like it when we have sponsors for the show. Yeah, that's that's great. sponsors. Keep, it makes me feel less like we're not part of society. Keeps the light on, you know. Yeah, the single light, mm-hmm. the single bare light bulb we have here in Flophouse Central. Uh, now, our sponsor tonight is Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can create a beautiful website to turn your cool idea into a new website, showcase your work, or I don't know, sell products and services of all kinds. Uh, Squarespace does this by giving you the ability to customize the look and feel, the settings of products of your website, and more with just a few clicks. Now, you can check out squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, you can use the offer code FLOP to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So if you want to make your own website... That sounds like a really good deal, Elliot. offer code FLOP. It does. It's actually, I'd love to. I'd love to use it because you know, guys, I have a website idea, and I was wondering if if Squarespace would be able to help me with it. It's kind of inspired by inspired by today's movie, mm-hmm. uh, and it's called mensclens.com. Sure. Okay. And now, mensclens. Let's let's just face it. There's a lot of things inside a man's body that harm them. Okay. And there's a lot of men who harm other people. And so, what mensclens does is it tries to stop people from harming others. By removing the harmful things from their body. You'd be surprised how many dictators uh, and just like corrupt people and serial killers are caused because of, let's just let's just call it what it is, a backed up colon. Oh. Constipated, nothing feels yeah, right. Yeah, you're you right. Just wanna, you're trying to get it out of your system. And so what menscleanse.com does is it uses secret robot from the future technology to make, let's, I don't know, whatever, beef or... Uh, other things are backing up your system and make them disappear. Now, the only problem with the technology is that everything that comes out of your colon does appear in a desert in Las Vegas. And we've been having some trouble with the permits, with getting permission to just basically fill up the Las Vegas desert with have to do oh, kind of like uh, the prestige, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. There's some top hats in there too. Yeah, and uh, but top hats that people so, eat. Yeah, of course, people do that all the time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so what are you fucking supposed to do with it? 
Yeah. Well, what do you think's backing them up? You think it's that easy to pass a hat through your no. system? No way. And when you've got a hat keeping you from pooping normally, keeping you from being regular, you're going to get mad and you're going to take it out on society by sending a picture of your penis to somebody who doesn't want it. So what menscleanse.com does is it tries to eliminate that whole problem. We're helping save the earth one bowel at a time. And do you think Squarespace would be able to help me get that website up? And I also want it to look the same on – I want it to scale for mobile apps as well, mobile platforms. Well, Can it do that? you're in luck because Squarespace has responsive design that will do just that. Oh, and- that's great. That's, that's a very logical, practical question for a very practical website idea. <laughs> I mean, because that's the thing is the technology of making things disappear from bad people's colons and appear in the Las Vegas desert. We've worked that out, but we're still figuring out how to put a website together. We don't have coding experience. Sounds like Squarespace is what we need. What's that promo code again, Dan? It's flop. F-L-O-P. Flop. Like what's going to flop into the desert. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah, gross. Uh, Uh... so what else? And do we have any other sponsors? I believe we've got a couple of jumbotrons I sent to you guys. Yep. Let me. Uh, we got a jumbotron. Okay. So this message is from the. This is from. Let me just fucking start the message. Man, I just messed this up. Okay. The Infinite Bad is a comedy horror role playing podcast set in the 1920s. From the creators of Mars Core, the show mixes H.P. Lovecraft and Agatha Christie, starring a bunch of silly Brits and one token American. The first six-part adventure is a murder mystery in an old English manner. The second adventure features monsters and madness on the River Nile. A new episode every week. So search for The Infinite Bad wherever you get your podcasts. And on Twitter, at... The Infinite Bad. Okay, check it out. That sounds fun. That sounds up my alley. That's why Dan had me read it. Yeah. that's a And that was a business jumbotron. Dan assigned to me a personal jumbotron because I'm all about people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a, you're, you're a personality. I'm a personality who loves persons. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for clarifying. Yeah. Wessonality. <laughs> and a lot of Kate and Alan. Uh... So this Jumbotron message is for Josh, last name withheld, and it's from Jamie, last name withheld. So if you are Jamie, you sent this, and if you're Josh, you're getting it from Jamie. And the message says, happy anniversary. I thought this message would be best coming from your three favorite peaches, especially your Patronus, Elliot. Uh, Now, just a note, I don't know if they're mean Patronus in the Roman or Harry Potter terms. Read it, uh, uh, Josh, as much as you like. Yeah, yeah, thanks for clarifying. I thought this message would be best coming from your three favorite peaches, especially your Patronus Elliot. During the segment, I sometimes skip, but you always love. Our love has lasted longer than the amount of time the brats weren't friends and will hopefully continue for many cagemuses to come. Love you. That was very sweet. That's really sweet. And I like that they, she snuck in some puzzle, puzzle elements. So I'm like, how long has (laughs) it been? (laughs) If they had two apples at the beginning of the day, they should take the chicken over first so the fox doesn't eat it. Because <laughs> it's traveling 30 miles per hour west. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so, yeah, happy anniversary, you two crazy kids or senior citizens. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we have some live shows coming up. We should talk about those. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Plug Central. I'm very excited about them. The easiest way to get tickets to these live shows is just to go to uh, Flophouse 
Wait, wait. What's our website? Is it Flophouse Podcast? Yes. <laughs> Dan? <laughs> yes. Yeah, what's it's our... FlophousePodcast.com. <laughs> so right. go into your, your web browser, uh, Bing, I'm assuming, and search for Flophouse Podcast and just go to that website. Yeah, it's it's. I believe it's FlophousePodcast.com. And... Uh, Go it's it's flop ha- look it, it's flophousepodcast.com like let's sit dan <laughs> this how long have we had this site for i don't know uh this is also the kind of information you could always write down ahead of time just so you have it at your <laughs> i forget i forgot to write down anything about our live shows dan had a rough night last night dude take it easy elliot uh that's true he had a very rough night of i don't know whatever he does okay dan i'll take flop if you go to flophousepodcast.com slash events because these are live events uh-huh. You'll see listings for our upcoming three live shows. Those shows are one in Los Angeles on October eighth at seven p.m. at the Regent Theater. It, tickets are amazingly somehow still available, but they're going very fast. So I would buy them no 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 now because that show's coming up soon and it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's our first West Coast show, so everyone's gonna have extra energy because you gain those three hours. When oh, you're in New York. Mm-hmm. Then just a couple weeks later. We've got, on October 21st, our first ever international show. That's right. The Flophouse is traveling the world. Hey, give me some of that poutine. Okay. <laughs> All the way to Canada. We're going to be in Toronto. That's right. Toronto, the home of the Ronto, everyone's favorite prequel-based Star Wars animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be at the Royal Theater, October 21st, which is a Saturday at 8 p.m. in at Toronto, Canada. I'm excited about that because it means I get to use my Canadian money from the last time I was. Oh, Canada. great. And, and then later in the year, December 9th, just six days after my birthday, we're going to be in San Francisco. That's right. Concrete jungle where dreams are made. <laughs> San Francisco yep. at the Marines Memorial Theater, December 9th at 8 p.m. That's a Saturday. These are all weekend shows, everybody. So don't worry. You don't have to miss work unless you work on the weekend. But most people are working for the weekend because logically it's when they're not working and so you can make it to the show. Yeah. So once again, that's October 8th, Sunday in LA, Los Angeles, the Big Easy, October 21st in Toronto, the Windy City, and December 9th in San Francisco. Uh, no, it <laughs> yeah, it's not known as anything. It's not known as anything. Uh, they have no br- city-branded treats mm-hmm. there. Uh, so I'm really excited about these shows. I'm excited to have Dan and Stuart with me in my new hometown of Los Angeles. I'm excited for all of us to go to a place yeah. in Canada that I've never. It'll been be great. To. I've never been to Toronto. I can't wait to go to L.A. so we can hang out with you and you can, you know, be our local guide, right? To take us to all the spots that locals go to. I mean, I can take you to all the restaurants that are kid friendly. <laughs> oh, great! Because that's kind of all I've learned so far. Uh, there is one taco place I'm going to take you guys to that I think you're going to like a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. It's great because it's served to you by a clown and you get a balloon after you eat all your tacos and clean your plate. <laughs> and if you're under 12, you pay your money. <laughs> oh, wow. That's going to be expensive. <laughs> I think you're underestimating how heavy kids weigh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm paying for Sammy and I'm like, $33 for these chicken fingers? All right, pay your weight. I kind of thought it was cents, but okay, it's dollars. Yeah. Uh, and I'm excited to do the San Francisco show because San Francisco is great. And I feel like that's my wife's territory. That's her home area. So you can claim it. Yeah. I want to, I kind of want to show all her friends and family that I'm not a big loser. Like they think I am. So that show better go well, guys. There's a lot of pressure. You're not going to come to the show, right? 
Probably not. So flophousepodcast.com slash events to buy tickets for all these shows. Uh, if you want, if you're even thinking about going to the LA one, you should buy your tickets now because you're running out of time. Then you're just going to lose the opportunity. Toronto, you got a little bit more time. San Francisco, you got lots of time. But why not just buy the tickets now? Yeah, Elliot, hold their feet to the fire on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Uh, and yeah, those shows are all going to be really fun. We're going to be doing presentations. I, I just met someone the other night who said, hey, when you talk about the presentations on the show, what is that? And I was like, what would you present? Like, you got to see it to find out. Come on. That's the, the whole point of it is to come to live shows. Mm-hmm. So if you're curious about them, then you definitely need to come. Yeah. Guys, anything I'm forgetting about these shows other than that they're going to be super fun? No, I think you covered it all. I think you nailed it, dude. It is. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to going to the off. West Coast and Toronto. I'm looking forward to all the shows. I don't know I'm, I know I'm specifying. No, no. No, I think the West Coast ones will be a little special just because, like, now the West Coast is so much a part of the flop life yep. uh, with me being out here. And it's it'll be a nice a nice and a nice splash for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the oh, and also, I think this is gonna be our first live Shocktober episode, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are we watching, Dan? Uh, we're watching Rings. Rings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're going to be a bunch of fucking Sonic the Hedgehogs. Do- uh, <laughs> Dr. Robotnik, we're going to kill you. <laughs> OK, Dan, you have to be Tails. Aw. So wait, you're wait. Who's Sonic? You're Sonic. Hell, I get to be Sonic. Yeah, but who's going to get me pregnant? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess I will as Knuckles. Uh, okay, yeah. well, well be gentle. Um, Dan, what do we do next? Next, we talk uh, about letters. Are we? We don't talk about letters. We read letters that <laughs> listeners have sent. Hey, what are your guys' favorite letters? Mine, I know it's a little egotistical. Mine is E because it's the first letter of my sure. first name. But it's a very versatile yeah, letter. It's, it's the, the most, most used letter. letter in the English language. Yeah. And that's because there's so many. It's the Swiss Army knife of, of letters. Now you get a letter like Q, very difficult. But when it's used properly, wonderful. <laughs> Q is kind of like a fugu fish mm-hmm. poisoning where it's like, only the only someone with a lot of skill should use a Q, but when they use it right, there's just nothing better, you know? Yeah, I do know. So we're not talking no, about letters? No, we're, we're reading letters from listeners that they've sent in. Um, okay. And the first letter is from Ryan. Hey, everybody, uh, we're talking ooh, okay, about I can letters. Go to the bathroom. But why talk um, about letters when we can sing? Ow. We can sing about anything, but we're singing about the letters. And my song hurt Dan somehow. Is it possible that music can hurt? Well, the army is looking into it now. The first test subject was Dan right now, because I'm singing about letters, and it hurt Dan. He said, ow, that was Dan's reaction to my song about letters. Actually, Archie, I was scratching my leg, and Archie apparently didn't know that that meant that my hand was connected to my body and swiped at me. Uh, Anyway. So Archie thought your your hand was attacking you? Yeah, I think so. Oh, so he was defending Dan by scratching this this, this arm that came. Oh, out wow! Her. What an adventure we had. Okay, first letter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, no, There's a very special tone of voice that Stuart <laughs> gives when he, it's like, "Let's move it but along." This, this, this special tone that says, "Let's cut this." <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Dan, what's the first letter, and how does it go, and what can I sing about? It says it's from Ryan, last name uh, withheld, and Seacrest. He uh, says, I can't remember exactly when, but you once read a letter describing Neil Breen's first cinematic masterpiece, Double Down. You can find the whole film on YouTube, but there's only one scene that matters. 
when Neil Breen's super hacker slash spy slash fighter pilot slash maybe terrorist character watches his very sunburned girlfriend shot in front of him and she winds up floating face down in a pool and he, for some reason, joins her and then you see his taint for what feels like forever. Please see the enclosed screenshot because I had to see this so so do you. Love the podcast and keep on flopping in the free world. Uh, and so he does indeed include a picture of his taint. I'm, pu- I'm putting this up so Ellie can see it. I right, hold it over a little bit. Okay, yep, I see yeah. it. Okay. Stuart, right. you've seen it. Now, I know what it lo- now I've seen before. it from both sides. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, so you get a little, he, you get a little scrotum there picking, picking out. I have to assume that he saw Eastern Promises and he was like, this is the future of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Taints. That's it. This is the last front. You got to push boundaries somehow, dude. And yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is the, uh, I think this is the only actual nudity uh, in one of Neil Breen's films. Cause you do like, it's, it's both him and his girlfriend's butt as they float in the water. Uh-huh. Uh, and usually he's just tastefully suggests nudity. <laughs> by having, but usually the camera pans down to the feet of the two people making out, standing up, and a woman's shirt will just fall to the yes. ground. Now, Dan, when I talked about that denim vest before, I think I confused it. Is that in Double Down or is that in I Am Here? Dot 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 dot. Now, uh, I think it's in I Am Here. Dot 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 dot. Now, I'm not a Neil Breen uh, historian. You're not a Breen machine. No, I'm not a Breen machine. In, in the double down is when he does, his jacket is made out of two pieces of fried chicken. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. That makes That's sense. That's called the double down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, and, uh, they, they use fried chicken because it, uh, it's, it's easier to handle with your hands. By the instead way. Of, instead of fucking bread. <laughs> instead of bread, which is greasy and hot. Elliot, your Skype has frozen in the most un- <laughs> unappealing screenshot of you you yeah it's my face yeah it's your face but uh you uh you're caught your eyes are closed it's you know we're kind of looking up your nose and uh you got this kind of goofy smile going on it's just really great it's really great oh okay well we should put it on a we should put it on a t-shirt for the flop (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 The uh yeah, for some reason, yeah, in this picture, this unflattering picture, you're also wearing a t shirt that says you support Gamergate. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. weird. No, no. <laughs> uh anyway. Uh so this next le- and now what would now what would that t shirt say? It would just say I support Gamergate. <laughs> there's no there's no clever way to say that. <laughs> and also wait, so you support so does that mean you support so is Gamergate the bad activities, or was it the calling out of the bad activities? I don't know. You We're bought the fucking t-shirt, dude. <laughs> yeah, man. Come on. <laughs> good point. Good I'm point. not explaining That's it to you. <laughs> I'm uh, as confused as you are. <laughs> Did you just buy it from a fucking Kroger because he needed a shirt and you were in a, in a tough situation because he spilled chili all over yeah. your last shirt? Similar. I was with uh, I was with my partner. We're both hitmen, and we accidentally killed somebody in a car and got blood all over us, and that was just the shirt that the guy whose house we stopped at happened to have. And now I have to walk around in it all. Mm-hmm. Even though you don't maybe support that ideology, whatever it may mean, because we, as we've explained, don't quite understand what the T-shirt means. The T-shirt's message is a little unclear, and that's just one of the reasons I'm unhappy to be wearing it instead of my normal attire, which is a black suit with a white shirt and a very skinny top. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, you're one of the Beatles from Hard Day's Night. Anyway, so this next letter is from Cam, last name withheld. Uh, Cam Kennedy, the Star Wars. Cam Gajanjit. Yeah. And it says, hey, guys, for what it's worth, I'd love to hear more book recommendations along with the usual movie suggestions. 
I'm actively making time to read as much as I can, and Elliot's recommendation of The Sympathizer was gold. I Oh, awesome. Glad you I, liked it. That was a great book. I live in your vents. Cam, last name withheld. Well, that's, that's creepy. creepy. <laughs> like a like a like an like a sea like a like an underground organism or a deep sea organism? Is that what he means? Mm-hmm. Or is it like a parasite that lives inside of a fish's gills? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Dan, which one? I think he's just living in our vents. I don't think you need to, you know, put any. Uh, oh, extra... like he's uh, he's crawling around, lighting a lighter, talking like uh, talking in his Bruno voice, like yeah. Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, taking us, taking out the terrorists in our bloodstream one by Listen one. Listen, the Flophouse, have a few laughs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so uh, I so should we recommend some? Yeah. Books? Let's do that. Okay. Why not? Well, I just finished reading a book called Lincoln's Virtues, mm-hmm. uh, an ethical biography, which uh, I actually found it may be my new favorite Lincoln book. Uh, it goes through Lincoln's life from his youth up to uh, Lincoln's Virtues, an ethical biography by William Lee Miller, as I take it off the shelf. Uh, and it goes through his life up to becoming president and then talking about some of his stuff as presidency, looking at how his life and as a you know, and in larger sense, all of our lives are a series of ethical choices based on what we think we can accomplish in the world, and how to balance that with our larger kind of like moral principles. But also the idea that his his moral principles and his ethical qualities kind of grew over time. And I thought it was a really, really like uh, interesting and and inspiring for me. Look at like how a person's uh, ability of what they how a person's understanding of what they can accomplish in the world can can change and grow over time so i like that a lot it's called lincoln's virtues interesting uh what are you guys reading lately i'm rereading a book that i remember loving as a child uh the deptford trilogy it's called 101 creepy <laughs> <That's> right <laughs> no i read that a little later than that i uh it's i read this i think when i was about 13 or 14 uh, it's written by Robert Robinson Davies, who's uh, the kind of the most significant Canadian literary figure, I think. Uh, uh, more than Margaret Atwood. Well, okay, that's a good one. She's so hot right now, dude. Uh, mm-hmm. But Ro- that's why they call her Margaret Hotwood. Mm-hmm. Robertson Davies is an interesting guy. He, uh, I can't go through his. Uh, I realized I couldn't go through his biography because I was kind of vague on it. I was like, I'm going to tell you a little bit of Robert Robertson Davies. And then I'm like, no, wait, hold on. I don't actually know that much about him. He, uh, <laughs> I, I believe he was a newspaper man at one point. That's about all I can give you. So what's the book? Uh, the book, the Deptford Trilogy is made up of three books, uh, Fifth Business, World of Wonders, and The Manticore. And I'm in Fifth Business right now. And they're all sort of, Centering around the idea of uh, who killed the boy Staunton um, or the death of boy Staunton. And uh, they each have totally different um, protagonists and uh, they add up to kind of this portrait when taken together. And uh, Robertson Davies is really interested in a lot of things that I find interesting, like magic and newspapers and yeah, right. theater and religion, and he's kind of this uh, mystic version of Charles Dickens, I would say. Like, he writes in a very sort of similar way, these buildings roman, but he has kind of a 
yeah, like I said, more of a mystical view on the world than Dickens did. And um, he, the the first book, Fifth Business, is about a character who is uh, fifth business in sort of the life of uh, of this person. In fifth business being defined as the character who is not the lead or is not all these other things, but in, is nevertheless um, integral to the turn that a play takes the the integral to the i can't talk apparently right now um but i think that this was a a thing that robertson davies made up i think this is much like the prestige a term of art that is not actually real uh but it's kind of an interesting idea this guy who is not the important character necessarily but the one who brings about the action in a, a life uh, and so that's the first book and I'm in the middle of that and enjoying it very much. Uh, I think the, the, the last book I remember really enjoying was, uh, uh, a, sh- a series of short novels that I read about a year ago. Uh, Jeff Vandermeer's Southern reach trilogy, mm. uh, which are the first one's annihilation. And then I don't remember the names of the other ones. <laughs> um, <laughs> But they're really great. Uh, I've I've liked Jeff Vandermeer's writing for a long time, and I think he's getting to uh, like a really interesting point in his career. Um, and his uh, his Southern Reach trilogy are these awesome little it's this awesome little sci fi story, um, kind of set in a uh, kind of ambiguous uh, modern era. It's not specifically America, but it kind of feels like it. And uh, a group of scientists are sent into uh, a similarly ambiguous uh, area that has been quarantined off this area of wilderness that's been quarantined off. And uh, they are have to are tasked with exploring it. And it is a place that is uh, like rigidly defies uh, classification and it, uh, the story goes in very strange way places. And, uh, the second book picks up and is very different than the first. And I think they're really great. If you are a fan of some of the like themes of, well, some of the, yeah, some of the, (laughs) some of the themes of like HP Lovecraft minus the social elements (laughs) <laughs> the social themes of H.P. Lovecraft. I think you would like it. Um, and it's it's just this really interesting kind of sci-fi horror with a uh, like an eco bent. So check that out. Uh, this next letter is from Tyann, last name withheld. And she writes, Hiya, Peaches. Huge fan of you three fellows. I've listened to every episode of your delightful podcast and still get excited when a new one comes out. Anyway... To answer the question Elliot posed on your Sicilian vampire episode, yes, I have opened a box of bananas and had an animal come out. Stuart, you were right about the stock boys being the main victims of banana box stowaways. I work in a co-op grocery store, though I'm a stock girl, Stuart. Jeez. Oh, wow. Sorry for gendering it. And a few years ago, we had a massive, beautiful spider arrive with some bananas. And before I thought to Google the palm-sized arachnid, I thought I caught it in a plastic container, thinking I might be able to save it somehow. When a coworker suggested looking it up before I decided on a name for my new pet, I discovered that what I had in my hands 
was a Brazilian wandering spider, the world's most deadly spider. Mm-hmm. Ah. Not being a complete idiot, I ended up killing the thing, though it did take multiple attempts, including suffocating, freezing, and eventually death by flushing. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Rasputin of spiders. Another fun fact about the co-op you where I worked. seen that spider's dick, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> Another fun fact about the co-op where I work, Jesse Eisenberg is a regular customer. He's about as quiet and awkward as you could imagine, much smaller than you'd expect, and has the least annoying baby of all our customers. Did he also crawl out of a box of bananas? (laughs) (laughs) This is the point I was making in the in the when we were talking about it. If ever an animal's gonna come out of a banana box, it's gonna be a spider. As we all know from the the banana boat song, Princess Deo, Mm -hmm. or maybe it's the other way around, that there's a big tarantula in that bunch of bananas. But I've never heard of a bat fly out of a banana box. That's in the uh, like that's in the a, second verse of that song. Oh, I see. If it was a box of Rice Krispies, yeah, a bat would fly out. The bats fly out of that shit all the time. But a banana, I don't think so. Yeah. Well, this was uh, basically my nightmare, so I wanted to read it on the air. I'm terrified of spiders, uh, mostly because of I think I had these flashcards of poisonous spiders when I was a kid, and they warped my brain. Um, and so to have literally the most dangerous spider in the world come out of a box of bananas in the course of my job would be harrowing yeah you crack open that box you're like i'm about to have some breakfast unless what i mean i mean you're not gonna have breakfast are you really gonna have like a whole unpacked crate of bananas in your house for breakfast (laughs) come on i was gonna say unless your job was you're a a banana box spider finder sure in which case it should happen on your job that means you're doing your job yeah uh, Dan, you might not want to come to my house in L.A., which is crawling with... There's spiders everywhere. Oh, God. Like, there's spider webs all over the place, and I never realized Los Angeles was so full of spiders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know that they're, like, good for the world and whatnot. Like, they're killing other insects, so I've come around on them a little bit, but I just... And don't they have such out. cute little faces? No, they don't. <laughs> with those they're, weird... Yeah, with all those eyes. Yeah, and those weird little mouth things. Uh-huh. Their mouths are really cute. And the way they have eight legs and move in that very alien way, as if they're Mm -hmm. not of this world. And if you drop them from a high enough height, their torso just cracks open. Oh, God. Great. I mean, that's kind of (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I guess, yeah, there's, there's, I'm sure there's some kind of scientific formula that factors out the height that each species needs to be dropped from for their torso to split open. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, anyway, that was from Diane. Rhymes with Diane, but is not Diane. Mm-hmm. Last name withheld. Mm, good to know. Uh, Very helpful. And this last letter is from Kyle, last name withheld, who writes... Kyle Katarn. Dear Dan. <laughs> from, the, from the Dark Forces yeah. game? When Elliot sings, with whom does he make eye contact? Or does he just stare at the table, the wall, Archie, question mark? Best kisses, Kyle. That's a good question. I feel like Elliot usually stares off into the middle distance, channeling some kind of strange spirit. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I have to hear the song vibrating from the far reaches of the universe, the places that evil yeah. comes. Yeah. I th- I... But also, Stuart usually gets up during the song, mm-hmm. so I can't look him in the, in the face. And yeah, it, and, and if I looked at Elliot in the face while he was singing, it would turn too sexual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan's, Dan's like, I'm just going to avert my gaze to my phone where I will engage the Pornhub app. <laughs> you got to have the app, dude. Wait, you is get, there an app? Yeah, you got to get the app. You get so much quicker access. Yeah, better. Scale for mobile better? <laughs> Wait, okay, one, I have two questions. One is, what what benefits would come with that app? That, that it would make it worth having 
Everyone who <laughs> to see a Pornhub app just on your home screen. Well, it's a it's a shortcut, and the thing is, the the uh, the icon for the app is disguised, so the only people that would recognize it are p- other people who have the app. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, I see. So they can't say anything because it would out there. Exactly. That's and also the thing. it makes it a lot easier to re- review uh, the porn clips. I'm really into reviewing porn clips, guys. Yeah. You, <laughs> well, you're those, into like enge- in engagement. Yeah, leaving those uh, notes, being like, "Man, her face at 140." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, "What in the world?" Yeah. This is such a specific criticism of porn websites. The kind that could only come from personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Okay. Uh, I think it's time for. Our I think last we answered segment. those. Yeah, we answered all those questions. We answer all those questions. So what do we do now? Yeah. There weren't that many questions. We actually answered just one question, pretty much. <laughs> we did. We did we them did all, it. one for one. Um, hundred percent. This last uh, section on the show is where we recommend movies that you should watch. Uh, let's say before pass through. Uh, if you if you know if you are making a list of priorities. Maybe go out and see these ones before seeing a Neil Breen. If you film. have like two to three hours left in your life, maybe watch this instead of. Exactly. Okay. Um, I'll go. I recently watched a movie that I did not like that much, but it reminded <laughs> me of a movie I did like. Okay. Uh, I went and saw Ex Libris, the three and a half hour Frederick Wiseman documentary about the New York Public Library. Uh-huh. And surprise, surprise, it gets a little boring, guys. Three and a half hours of, uh, you know, library talks and administrative meetings. Uh, not the most exciting movie. Although You weren't the target audience for that one? Uh, I think I am the target audience for that one. If I didn't like it, then I'm not sure. Like a three and a half hour movie saying, about libraries. How many scenes were there of, yeah? How many scenes were there of, of librarians having to tell old people not to look at porn on the computers? Mm-hmm. There, was a, there was a sequence where they were talking about um, homeless people and like how to deal with that issue. Uh-huh. The answer is you you have to encourage charitable giving. Uh-huh. And then you give them a hand up, dude, not a handout. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Job sure. job training and also mental health care, you know? But uh it, this reminded me of a movie that I liked a lot more uh by also a documentary legend uh The Maisel's Brothers. Um the movie is Salesman about uh, traveling Bible salesman. And it's an interesting movie because the very subject of it kind of suggests this intersection between capitalism and religiosity. Uh, these men having to go out and sell these fancy Bibles to people who, honestly, most of them probably should not be spending money on a fancy Bible. Like, No, they cannot afford to be buying a fancy exactly. Bible. And just the grinding sadness of these men's lives uh is fascinating uh but it's 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 beautifully shot it's like this beautiful black and white cinematography um it's 90 minutes long unlike the three and a half hour monster i watched and uh it's just fantastic salesman is what i recommend that sounds pretty good i'm going to that's oh uh sorry you were saying i was just saying that sounds good dude that's a good movie uh, can I go yeah. next? I'm going to make a qualified recommendation, not because the movie needs to be qualified, but because I think the movie viewer should self-select ahead of time. You guys might know what movie I'm getting yeah. to. Yeah. 
It's a little movie called Mother. Mother. <laughs> which it's the story of Glenn Danzig and how he came up with the greatest song in rock and roll mm-hmm. movie. Um, so I'm, I'm sure you guys are all aware of it. Darren Aronofsky's new movie with J-Law and J-Bard. That's Javier. I, uh, I, I haven't seen it yet. So keep them spoilies tight. Okay. I will not tell you anything then except that. I mean, the, it's one of those movies where the less you know about it going in, the better. Mm-hmm. But go, but you should know ahead of time before going in whether you're the type of person who's going to enjoy this movie. I thought it was amazing. Like on a, on a technical level – on a tension level, and also like it—it's the kind of uh, it's the kind of creepy, brutal allegory that I li- that I like. I, I get a lot out of thematically, and also like emotionally, it's a real grind. Like it is a movie that is always at high pitch of emotion and does not let up the entire movie. But it's one of those movies where it's like if you're not if you don't care for a movie like uh, like Possession, then. Maybe don't go see this movie. Like, I was watching the movie, and I, for most of it, I was like, this is really great. I don't see why people are walking out of this film. And in the last 20 minutes, I'm like, oh, now I get it. Uh-huh. This is, this is, like, it gets very, uh, it gets very, like, it's always intense, but then it gets extremely intense in a way that is both, uh, can be both derided as too intense and also kind of pretentious, but that's, Darren Aronofsky. I love his stuff, partly because he is willing to be pretentious in a way that you can tell is very uh, strongly felt by him. But yeah, yeah. I mean, so for Stewart, I don't feel like you. I don't feel like you ever make. I don't feel like he ever makes like boring movies. <laughs> no, and it's it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm surprised that people are surprised when they go and seeing it because. But I guess there's probably a lot of people who like don't don't when they hear Darren Aronofsky, they don't immediately think oh, this is going to be ins- insanely intense. And they just see that it's Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem and Michelle Pfeiffer. In it. And they're like, I'm just hoping for an easy scare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, oh, this will maybe when I'm watching this, my my date will will jump and uh, her. Like, I like this, this, this straw man we're creating. <laughs> He's like, mm, Ed Harris looks enough like a skeleton. I'm sure this movie's scary. <laughs> Well, and the way it's set up, you could very easily be lulled into thinking like, oh, this is probably like a ghost movie or a haunted house movie, uh-huh. but it is something so much stranger and so much more intense and so much more effective. Yeah. And I thought like at times genuinely disturbing and at times genuinely beautiful. And like it was, I can, I like, I totally see that guy, this unnamed straw, straw teen going with his girlfriend to see this movie, hoping for like a little bit of scares to get her in the kissing mood. And then they're both like, Whoa, what are we watching? What is, <laughs> yeah. is this happening in front of yeah. us? So for anyone who anyone who uh, has a, let's call it a strong stomach and uh, an interest in ver- uh, large themes on a expressed on an interesting scale, I would say, and, and go to Mother. And like technically, yeah. from a technical point of view, it's amazing. Uh, I would go see Mother. But if you are in the interest of a film that is not going to either be pretentious or possibly shake you to your core, then uh, don't go see this movie. I, uh, like I, they, they did that. Uh, they did that new ad campaign where they're the new posters have lists uh, that like all the pull quotes are kind of negative things about the movie to kind of like challenge you. And they actually took one of my buddies pull quotes from his uh, GQ review that just says, people are going to fucking hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
like I totally get it. Watching the movie, I thought it was a step, like it blew me away. But I, and I, I really liked it a lot. But I could see how most people will not like yeah. it at all. And it's it's the film reviewers that have been so against it that I don't understand. But I get why like Cinema Score gave it an F. Like if ever there was a movie that's not really meant for wide release, it's this one. But uh, it's but it's really good. <clears throat> if you like uh, if you like crazy stuff, go see it. But if it like for instance. My wife and I were talking about seeing it, and I really wanted to see it. And the more I heard about it, the more I was like, want, worried that that she wasn't going to like it. And she's out of town, and so I was like, can I just go see Mother? Uh, and fellow Max Fun host uh, Jordan Morris invited me to go to a screening with him, and I went. And she she was like, that's fine, you can go. And I went, and I was like, I'm so glad I did. You did not see this movie. <laughs> like this is not. I would not have been a good experience. And, and she's looking at you and she's like, but Elliot, I'm a mother. Shouldn't I like it? Yeah. It seems like it's made for no, me. It would also be even harder for her to take. But uh, yeah, I can't I can't say it strongly enough. I highly recommend this movie, but the vast majority of people will not. It's like kind of it. like our recommendation for Only God Forgives. <laughs> yeah, no, very similar. Yeah, where it's like you need to self-select ahead of time. It's likely you will not like this movie, but if you like this kind of movie, you'll really like yeah. it. Uh, so uh, we're in the recommendation section, so I'm going to recommend a TV show. Okay. Uh, I'm going to recommend a show that I'm only finally getting around to watching. Uh, it's a show called Inside Number Nine. It's a show on the BBC uh, two of the creators are Steve Pemberton and Reese Shearsmith of the League of Gentlemen, another TV show that I've recommended on here. League of Gentlemen being uh, possibly my favorite show of all time. It's such a uh, League of Gentlemen is this perfect balance of like strange comedy and horror that I think uh, is just is awesome. And. Uh, Inside Number Nine kind of continues that tradition. It's an anthology series, um, and at least all the episodes. I've only seen the uh, episodes from the first season, and they've had a couple seasons. But the uh, each each episode takes place in a single location, and they uh, they're all funny, and they also have these dark elements to them. Uh, and so, if you're looking for something that is both, you know is a little uncomfortable and funny. I would totally recommend checking it out. Um, it's on, it's streaming on shutter now, the horror streaming service. And I'm sure you could probably buy it in various other places as well. You typing something, Elliot? Yeah, I was looking something. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or is, uh, are you, uh, you eating a caramel? Sorry. Oh, I, I'm, I apologize that my brief typing will interrupt a podcast that routinely has cat. <laughs> I just, I I'm just trying to. Dan. I'll keep up our professional I'm standards from this. Trying to, on. Elliot. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you put that hair shirt on again? I'm trying to fend off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trying to fend off the inevitable um, complaints that we're going to get from from people. That's all. I don't care. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay, what do we do now? You're fending off complaints. Uh, what? What do we do now, Dan? Now we sign off. Okay. It's it's everyone's favorite part of the podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're going to leave on a high note. Energy is pumping. Yeah, with me reprimanding Elliot. <laughs> That's the best way to end a podcast. Leave on a high note. Uh-huh. Dan's like... With someone feeling bad about something. Elliot, we've been doing this show for 10 years. We have never had a audio problem. We've had a perfect record with audio <laughs> stuff. We don't want you to fuck it up. Yeah.
<laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, I took us down from an A plus 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 to an A plus 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 minus. Oh no! Sorry. Uh, no, that's on that's on our permanent record. Yeah, which is a record that's made of everything we've ever said, and then is put on a satellite and shot into space for aliens to mm-hmm. find. That was good. Uh, so they'll know what it sounds like when humans waste time. Yeah. Speaking of wasting time, we're putting off the inevitable, which is saying goodbye. Which so I'll do it now. Isn't that Dan? Isn't life all about putting off? Oh the God. Uh, for the Flophouse, I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. And this is Elliot Kalen over here saying, see you, Kale heads. Until next time, when we'll be Elliot Kalen in a round with all the latest news, <laughs> reviews, and updates from me, Elliot Kalen. Bye. Elliot sounded cooler. <laughs> I hope you keep in Stuart saying Elliot sounded cooler. Happy birthday to you. to you. Happy birthday. Happy. No, it's the lag. I'm doing it exactly <laughs> on the right time this time. Uh, for you, maybe. I'm li- well, I'm listening to it, and it's syncing up on my end. So there is, oh, there okay. is like a lag. But... The thing is, Elliot, it is a lag he's going to edit it together to make you look like an asshole. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yep. Just like usual. Just like, just like on reality programs. You got to have a villain, <laughs> and it's got to be you. Yeah. And that has to be me, mm-hmm. just like when I was on uh, Daily Show Apprentice. <laughs> it was that season of The Apprentice where it was all Daily Show staffers. <laughs> sure. And John John got to do his uh, You're Fired impression a lot. Yeah. That, that's our president's name, right? Is You're Fired? You're Fired. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.